Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest needs no introduction. He's been on the show before, and he has one of the top episodes that we have ever produced here at SRS. I'm talking about Dr. Stephen Greer. He's back. This time we're talking about zero-point energy, and we're talking about technologies that have been hidden from us and the U.S. government by companies such as Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, Raytheon, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and if you think this is a little out there, think again because the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress are both digging into this subject matter to get to the bottom of it. Next week, we have three of the five whistleblowers that Dr. Greer brought in front of Congress to testify about these technologies that they have had firsthand accounts seeing. They're going to be right here on SRS to give those exact same testimonies. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the show, if you like the information we're putting out, please go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and I see a lot of you have been out there making content, ripping our content off and putting it out on the internet. I love it. Looks amazing. We made it super easy for you. We put a ton of raw reels, links in the description, take them, make content, produce badass stuff. If we like it, we'll share it, monetize it, make money off of it. All we ask is that you please just tag our show in it. That's all we ask. Anyways, love you all. This is an awesome episode. It has a ton of information in it. In the next two weeks is all this subject. Love you all. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Dr. Greer. Welcome back to the Sean Ryan Show. I'm glad to be here. It's always good to see you. We've been seeing a lot of each other. Mm-hmm. So I just got back from your whistleblower conference and the premiere of your new documentary and the National Press Club event. Uh, a ton of good information came out of that, stuff right. that nobody's ever heard. Yep. Uh, extremely well put together event, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, All volunteers. Was it really? 100% volunteers. Incredible event yeah. uh, from start to finish. Me and, and uh, my friend Carter, who, who was the one to connect us, uh, right. we just had a fantastic time and, and learned so much. And so we got a lot to talk about today, um, diving into some of the whistleblower stuff. Yes. We're actually getting a handful of the whistleblowers that, that uh, I think they came out of this show with your first interview. Am I correct? Some of them had been had contacted me and been involved before some cool. sense, and of course, once that law got passed, uh, allowing a pathway for them to testify about what they knew, uh, notwithstanding their non-disclosure agreements, that sort of opened up a whole uh, new tranche of people willing to come forward. And that process, I, I think, we're having. A couple of new uh, whistleblowers uh, every week now. Oh, that's amazing. Per week, yeah. Well, we're going to dive into all of that, and um, and uh, thank you for connecting me with them, by the way. So let me give you a proper introduction here, even though you don't need one. But Dr. Stephen Greer, you just came out with a new documentary, The Lost Century, which is number one on iTunes, number one on Amazon, right. number one on 
Anything else? Google Play, all the sites, yeah. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Number one documentary released. Retired emergency doctor, founder of the Disclosure Project, documentarian, author, and leading authority on UFO, UAP intelligence. You've briefed multiple presidents. You've briefed the agency. You've briefed Congress, I believe. Uh, recently, you presented evidence of the illegal black budget projects related to UFO, UAP operations by the U.S. government and you have 33 years experience working in the UFO UAP arena. Right. Am I missing anything? That's good enough. <laughs> but um, we got a lot to cover. Like I said, we got to cover, we need to cover the Disclosure Project. We need to cover the Lost Century documentary, a little bit of the whistleblower, a little bit of the whistleblower stuff. Um, your documentary all about Zero Point Energy, fascinating stuff. What I'd like to do is I'm not 100% spun up on some of the things that you were talking about okay. um, that I think a lot of the, the rest of the audience was pretty spun up about. And I don't think my audience is 100% spun up on all of these topics either. Right. So I just want to go through um, some basic stuff to help me and the audience right. understand what we're about to talk about a little bit more when sure. it comes to the black budgets and stuff like that. So... Uh, a lot of these companies that, you know, are part of the military industrial complex, if you will, I've had a lot of experience with Lockheed, with Raytheon, with mm -hmm. these types of companies when it comes to field operations and, 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 and kind of the stuff that I was doing in my arena as a special operator. I don't know about what they're doing and how they play in with this mm -hmm. black budget stuff. And so I'd like to go through a couple of the companies and just um, have you just educate me and the audience about right. it. And let's, let's start with Lockheed Skunk Works. Well, of course, the Skunk Works, you know, dates back to the 50s and 60s. Kelly Johnson, uh, who's, by the way, UFO encounter report we have, was given to us by Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, uh, who knew him who was really? our U-2 spy plane witness who en encountered these objects uh, as a U-2 pilot. But, uh, and then, of course, Ben Rich. Ben Rich uh, was the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works and acknowledged towards the end of his r period there um, that they had uh, technologies that could, quote, take T E.T. home. He also stated there were no private conversations anywhere on the earth. True. Mm -hmm no matter what your encryption is. And also he said that anything you imagine, we can, we have already done at the Skunk Works. Now there's the Skunk Works that would deal with a conventional jet, rocket, you know, ramjet type classified aircraft, right? But then there's another division that is the deep black. I wanna make a distinction between the black budget and highly classified legally overseen projects. Mm -hmm. Here I'm talking about, you know, there's a guy I'm working with now who literally oversees the black budget of the United States. He was never read in on the UFO or UAP issue. And when he tried to find out, he went out to the Lockheed Skunk Works, he was told, showing a bunch of these conventional propulsion systems. He was not shown the ones that are the man-made UFOs that are the electrogravitics, the things that float, boom, 100,000 miles per hour. So I think that that's one of the problems is that there's almost two parallel systems. 
and there's very little points of intersection between the two, what I call the constitutional government of the United States. I just call it USG, the U.S. government, legal. And then there's the illegal secret government projects, okay, the ISG. Mm-hmm. So there are compartmented operations at the Lockheed Skunk Works dealing very specifically with this area of technology, which has nothing to do with rockets, jets, conventional aerodynamics. And it has to deal with electrogravitics, which is the ability to create a very high voltage system that causes a electromagnetic field propulsion. So there's almost like an electromagnetic field bubble around an object. It can levitate, lift, and it can go, you know, Mach 300 and never have a sonic boom and no heat on the, on the outer section of it. These are very advanced technologies. Now, those began to be studied back long before I was born, and I turned 68 this week, so you can imagine how long we've had these, stu- these things. Uh, we actually mastered gravity control in October 1954. One of the members of my team for many years was in the vault. Uh, okay. uh, he was the top scientist at the Naval Research Labs, the very large Department of Defense lab. Uh, in D.C. there. Um, I'd been in there, and he saw the documentation for this. So, uh, and I think what the public, and and this is true of the senators and the congressmen and the White House, they are not read in to these other projects. They simply aren't. You know, I had a a friend of Trump's tell me uh, over this past weekend uh, that that, that he said, "They, they just don't tell us much or anything, or very little. Uh, so I think that these sort of operations, as Eisenhower warned, you know, have just gotten out of constitutional legal oversight. So I call those the illegal secret government projects. But those are in the Lockheed Skunk Corps. So there's facilities out in the desert. Uh, if you go out to the Mojave Desert, there's an, uh, a facility and an underground opening. So the really sensitive uh, facilities are all in uh, uh, underground skiffs. Or, or dumps, deep underground military base facilities. And that whole area of California is like a beehive connected underneath with tunnels. Okay. I know where they are. I know people who've worked in them. Now, remember, those we have, are, are those all Lockheed? No, because those were actually built by Bechtel Corporation or HIT Construction. There are a few contractors who build these underground connectors. Um, and for years, they used a nuclear-powered tunneling device that would go through bedrock and just glassify it. So you'd have a connecting tunnel between, say, Edwards Air Force Base and Nellis hmm. Range, and you'd never have to go above the surface. So I'm very familiar with these and where they're located, and I've debriefed a number of guys who've been on them. So it's all part of a, let's call it a... <laughs> a coalition of operations that are corporate, contractor, and governmental, but governmental as in off the reservation of legal oversight and and constitutional requirements. This is why the Senate and the House are moving quickly to get this under control, because about a year and a half ago, we were providing enough information that they now realize that this is real, that the UAPs, UFOs are real, and they're beginning to realize that a bunch of them are ours, but they're being used in deceptive indications and warnings, meaning false flag operations. So this, of course, is the the topic I brought up to the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, General Patrick Hughes, way back in the late 90s. I said, look, you know, you guys 
or being completely zoomed and uh, deceived by some of these objects you think might be extraterrestrial, but they're ours. So Lockheed has some of those. Lockheed has, let's talk about- Raytheon has a very, uh, a, a certain type of them. Usually they're trapezoidal or triangular. Uh, my uncle worked for his whole career at Northrop Grumman. They have ones that are uh, large, triangular, and um, other shapes. But so many of these objects that people think they see a, a UFO, well, it's a UFO to them because they don't know how to identify it. So one of the things we were, were doing is juxtaposing an interstellar vehicle, an extraterrestrial vehicle, with a man-made one. And what are the characteristics and differences? Because operationally and tactically, the Pentagon and the White House and Congress need to know this. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're sitting ducks to be deceived by all manner of nonsense. Who who are the other players? So we got Lockheed, Skunk Works, we got Raytheon, we got Northrop Grumman. Is Boeing involved in this? Yes, there's a division of Boeing that absolutely is involved. Um, General Motors has traditionally, and Ford, and General Electric for sure, and EGNG. EGNG is a major player in this space. Uh, as well as uh, Raytheon and TRW. Um, Booz Allen Hamilton has an, an aspect that deals with this uh, problem. So are these, and then there was the construction company who's building these underground facilities. Uh, the Bechtel Corporation and uh, uh, HIT Construction. So are these companies competing with each other? They do get into competing bids. It's a very interesting story. One of my whistleblowers who's, Still too afraid to come forward that I've dealt with for about seven years, was 10 years in the Pentagon and worked in a very classified uh, operation deep underneath the Pentagon. Uh, and he was read in across 18 of these uh, unacknowledged SAPs, uh, unacknowledged special access projects, dealing with this issue. And one of the things that happened there, there was a three-star general that was brought into uh, near Fort Sill, uh, Oklahoma at Lawton, and there was a skiff, an underground facility where we had downed an extraterrestrial vehicle, and this general brought an unauthorized person who was his girlfriend, who was a Booz Allen Hamilton executive, so that she could see what they were studying, so her group would get a leg up on the competing contract to study how those objects cloak or disappear and reappear. and. Uh, you know, he was actually CID, Criminal Investigative Division, after having been a main, mainline military. And uh, <clears throat> I know the general's name. We have all this. It's been handed over to the investigators for the uh, U.S. government. But uh, he ended up being demoted a star, but he was never prosecuted because the Department of Justice was blocked from being able to gain access to what it was that he did because the projects don't exist. I mean, this is very, gets into very complicated legal and SecOps, uh, you know, the whole security around these, these operations. But because of the extreme level of secrecy, <clears throat> the, the big problem with the public and the media is they think you're president, you're chair of this Senate committee and what have you, and that there's this vast conspiracy of these kind of people lying to the American public. It's the opposite. They're actually victims, most of them. Now, there are a few devils. I'll be quite blunt. I'm not going to name them. There are a few devils in the government, we know who they are, who are sort of in, embedded operatives to basically gaslight and deceive members of Congress or people in the White House or what have you. Um, and because they have sort of an all-access pass, they can put themselves in positions of authority 
but their authority is based on deceiving the constitutional leadership of the U.S. government. I know I am not the only one out there that struggles with sleep. I had a major problem sleeping. In fact, I didn't sleep much at all. I wake up in the middle of the night with a sore back, a sore neck, sweating, because I, for some reason I sleep hot. And then on top of that, when you do wake up in the morning, because you always get like that last 45 minutes before you know you got to wake up, right? And, and you're, it's like the race against the clock to try to get a little bit of sleep. Then you get the sleep. Then you got to spend, at least I did, my first 45 minutes of the day stretching, wandering around the house in all kinds of weird positions just to try to loosen my back up so I can put my shoes on to go to work. Well, then I started going to mattress stores and, and you know, you guys get it. You go to the mattress store and you get like 20 different sales pitches on why you need to buy the $6,000 mattress. Well, I had a friend tell me about this company, Helix Mattresses. So I went to the website they got 20-something mattresses to choose from. They're all memory foam. They have cooling technology that keeps your body cool at night. That way you're not waking up sweating like I am. And the cool thing is they actually have a test. Don't worry. You're not going to fail it. But uh, they it's just a questionnaire, and they ask you a little bit about your sleep routine, what positions you're sleeping in, and then they make a recommendation on what they think the best mattress is for you. On top of that... They have a 100-day test period where you can sleep on the mattresses. If you don't like them, you can return them, exchange them, whatever you want to do. I'm telling you, Helix was a game changer for me. Now, I don't have to wake up and wander around the house and do all my stretching. It just, look, I don't even know what it does. It just works. Don't just take my word for it, guys. GQ and Wired Magazine have named Helix their number one mattress. Like I said, just go online, go to helixsleep.com slash SRS, take the quiz. It only takes you two minutes. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash SRS. This is their best offer yet, and it's not going to last long. Go with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. I want to tell you a little bit about my morning routine. So it used to be I'd wake up and it was pills galore. Have my multivitamin, have my probiotic, have my greens replacement, had a bunch of other stuff that my multivitamin didn't cover. And then I found out about these guys, AG1. This is one of their travel packs. AG1 has 75 vitamins and minerals packed in here, and they're all whole food sourced ingredients. The good stuff, right? So basically, you dump this travel pack or this other stuff right here, the home pack, I guess you would call it. You just take a scoop, dump it into some water. Guys, it helps you with gut health, helps you with energy. It's a total greens replacement. There's tons of good stuff in here. I recommend taking it every morning, and it actually tastes pretty good, too. If you want to take ownership in your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com SRS. That's drinkag1.com SRS. Check it out.
Well, I'd like to get into that as well. Back to back to the military industrial complex mm -hmm. companies, Raytheon, mm -hmm. Lockheed Martin, Skunk Work, all these. How many people do you estimate are on these programs within these different companies? Well, there are thousands. There has thousands to be. at each company. Not at each company. Well, the bigger ones, very likely. Now, remember, you can have because of top secret, special compartmented information protocols. You're going to have a guy at this desk in a cubicle working on something. He'll have no idea what this one's working on. So you have basically an enterprise of people that are all working on one project, not realizing what that project is. Correct. Okay. They wouldn't know. Now, at the more senior management and coordination, they would, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the, the, it's called the pieces out there. You know, they would have one piece of it. But those can be very valuable uh, sources of intelligence that I've been meeting with for decades uh, because they may know just one area. They may have this one sliver of information. I feel like my job has been to do the whole comprehensive intelligence assessment from thousands of pieces from credible people inside these corporations and in government programs and put them together into, uh, it's like the, a scattered puzzle with a thousand pieces. So you gotta eventually put it together into the picture. And so sort of one of my tasks has been is to make that picture come together based on specific evidence, whistleblower testimony, documents, everything, um, which has really been my whole uh, project. I mean, since 92, 93, when I briefed the CIA director in 93, we had a comprehensive, comprehensive assessment of the situation. And that's evolved in 30 years, obviously, because we keep getting more granular detail uh, and specific intelligence. And this is what we've been handing over to the U.S. government since they passed the law uh, a couple years ago, ordering the director of national intelligence and the Pentagon to report on this. Now, the problem is the people who were put in charge of that, to be quite blunt, couldn't find their ass in a well-lighted room with both hands. Uh, and sorry, it's my old Southern expression, but they absolutely had no idea, you know, about the issue. And you saw last spring, there was a couple of those guys, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick and an ONI guy, there before Congress, members of Congress who'd looked at our disclosure project content prior uh, about the Maelstrom Air Force Base, Minot, North Dakota case, where there was a intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missiles taken offline. Uh, eight, I think it was 18 of them, something like that. And they asked Dr. Kirkpatrick and uh, the other gentleman from uh, Naval Intelligence, and they go, well, we've never heard of that. Well, anyone who would have read the disclosure book that came out in 2001, we have the documents, we have the government official documents, we have the NORAD documents, we have the two witnesses, one who is in NORAD and one who is in the silo, all on the record, right? Wow. Firsthand. So now we have a hundred of those that we've already brought out. Go to my YouTube channel. You'll see 70 of them up there yeah. or 80. The problem is, is that when you're first trying to find out about this, the amount of information, like we're sitting on eight, nine, 10 terabytes of data in my archive that we're trying to organize. We call it the D Disclosure Project Intelligence Archive, the DPIA. And that's what we're putting in organizing and handing off. As soon as we get it to any state and new information, I hand off another hard drive to these top secret guys who, who are trying to find out. But uh, 
we need to pick up the pace, obviously, because there's a clock, we'll talk about this, there's a clock now been set on this. Well, we will get into all that. Um, another, th when you're talking about these disinformation agents, these mm -hmm. knocks, mm -hmm. I have somebody that comes to mind, mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about him at lunch, mm -hmm. Lou Elizondo. Mm -hmm. Is he one of them? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, as soon as he emerged on the stage, I had a very senior guy, CIA, who's worked this issue since 1979, uh, contact me about that problem. Um, but remember, uh, the only way that you can control at this point all this coming out because of what we have and what we're pushing forward through media uh, is to uh, control the narrative, the mm -hmm. spin. So the people coming forward who get an all-access pass on to say 60 Minutes or something like that are people cleared by this same illegal corrupt organization because they'll tell the public, yes, the UAPs are real, but we don't know what they are. Well, this is an absolute lie. We absolutely know what they are. Some of them are ours, man-made, and are confused quite frequently with the others, which are of extraterrestrial origin or ETVs, extraterrestrial vehicles. And those uh, operatives are, are taught very well to take an issue, grab it, capture it, and then spin it in the direction that they want. Now, the direction they want is endless ambiguity. Gee, we don't know what they are. We don't know what they are. It's nonsense. We've proven what they are. Well, you know, I have 755 whistleblowers. You have 755 whistleblowers? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, this archive is unbelievable. You, you had mentioned that you would want to debate Lou Elizondo. Oh, I'd be happy to. I mean, someone brought that up a couple years ago. Um, I don't have any animus towards him personally. I just know what his role and function is because I was, I was given a heads up on it as soon as he emerged out of the Pentagon uh, and stood up his operation with this young guy I used to hang with, uh, uh, Tom DeLong of Blink-182. <clears throat> He'd stay out my house in Virginia. But... Um, what you expect uh, counterintelligence and, and disinformation agents to do is to do exactly that. Now, remember, all that happened when our documentary, Unacknowledged, which you can still see on Amazon Prime and everywhere, reached about 750 million viewers. At that point, they said, "This we need to take this narrative, acknowledge that these are real, but then change the narrative from the truth, which is what we're putting out, to sort of a fantasy or, or, or sort of a, a diversion. Hmm. And then those folks like Chris Mellon and Nick Pope and Elizondo would go up on Capitol Hill, whisper into the ears of folks like uh, Senator Rubio of, of the Intelligence Committee and others, basically telling them false information. But the false information works when you can put it around something real. Now, what was the real thing? The tic-tac, you know, the the F-18 Hornets chasing off the coast of California. Those events that happened, that the, the footage was leaked, it was a vehicle for them to attach that false narrative to it. Okay. So you have to understand how uh, counterintelligence and psychological warfare operations are designed. It's very effective. I mean, you know, it, it is very effective. Um, I would say 90% of people who study UFOs got gaslit. Certainly the U.S. Congress and the media did. So it's, they're very good at doing it. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's right, but I'd be very happy to go tete-a-tete -tete on that with anybody. Let's talk about 
Well, I would love to host that, by the way. Great. So do if, it. Uh, yeah, maybe we can get something going. Um, Although I have to tell you, he, he, he's called me a terrorist, which I find rather funny. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, hey, I've had 30 years of defamation of my character, so I'm, 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 I'm sort of bulletproof from it. You know, so. Yeah. The Stargate program. Mm -hmm. I, during your last interview, I saw a lot of comment. There's two programs mm -hmm. that I would like you to explain before mm -hmm. we dive into the, mm -hmm. uh, to the nuts and bolts of what we're going mm -hmm. to. Um, a lot of questions about the Stargate program. Can you enlighten us? Well, you'd have to describe it. That name is not a code word that I've been introduced to from a reliable inside source person who knows. Okay. So here's just to give you an idea of my discipline. Well, I appreciate I, the honesty. Thank no. you. So if somebody has told me about an operation, whether it's a code word, code numbered, or just a general project that I know has the credentials and we know he was involved directly, firsthand, not second, third, fourth-hand gossip over the Internet, uh, then I will speak to that. But now, they, you, if you describe to me what people think Stargate is, I can comment on whether it's got any legitimacy. Well, from what I've read, uh, people are saying that the Stargate program is doing some kind of experimentation with kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. I mean, that's, it has a different name, but absolutely that's true. Um, and as you know, <clears throat> Mr. Herrera, the Marine who was at our conference, who I think you'll be speaking with soon, uh, he came across such an operation. He initially thought they were transporting in this man-made UFO uh, drugs. They certainly had weapons, uh, illegal weapons that they were distur dis distributing. But those crates that our forensic aerospace artist drew, or we had a, a knock who was there who had been involved in an operation after that, and those were transporting children and uh, women and certain men who had certain capabilities that would be used in experimental projects um, here and in other countries. It's a monstrous pro program. There's a man who lives right near here who was a, a CIA operative and was very young, was one of these victims of, of this. And he wants to come forward, but he's quite frightened. Um, he's already signed affidavits about it. Um, but there's, so a, there's a CIA black site 160, uh, not far from Nashville, that was involved in some of these operations, mostly drugs <clears throat> and drug running, but also trafficking. So it's a human trafficking op operation. It's part of Stargate. Yeah, but you have to understand what it's for. It's not for, you know, shits and giggles, excuse me. It's, uh, it's rather, I have to say, some of these projects, I mean, they're very disturbing. And I don't know how much people want to hear this, but oh, they want it, to hear it, it will keep you awake at night. I mean, if you have children like I do. And, but they're used in very specific operations, and they were so, they're selected for certain capabilities, particularly psi capabilities. Okay? Um, and those are used in projects that these illegal projects are running for the purpose of um, communication. So what's coming to my mind right now is remote yeah. viewing. Yes. Is that involved in this? It's, but in a very high-tech way, technologically. Most of the subjects die. 
as a consequence of what they're made to do. But they have certain aptitudes and abilities for which they are screened, and then they are abducted and taken. Now, keep in mind, this is also, um, there are a lot of, of operations that have related to this. Um, you know, recently there was a whistleblower came out talking about the aliens murdering humans. And he was referring to a case that I know for a fact were our uh, operations, these illegal secret government operations that were down in South America. And they've done it in Africa also, where they have killed innocent people in villages to make it look like an alien attack. Now, that information is being now provided to Congressman Tim Burchett and the Senate Intelligence Committee as if those were extraterrestrial events. They have no idea it's our guys doing it. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get Tim on the show. No, he's great. I've met with him. He's, he's, he's in this heart and soul. Here's the risk, though, and, and if anyone in Congress is watching, I, I, I want to word this very carefully. A little knowledge is an extremely dangerous thing here because this is a, a hall of smoke and mirrors and deception, and you have to then wind this back. What would a clandestine operation have if unsupervised since the late 1950s where they've had the most, some of the most brilliant scientific minds I've ever met work in these pr projects? They've had almost an infinite amount of money, trillions of dollars that have gone into the R&D, studying both human breakthroughs and also extraterrestrial vehicles, propulsion systems, communication systems, material science, what things are made of, how they're made. Well, you figure after 80 years of that and trillions of dollars, you're going to have some payoffs. And these payoffs are in the form of advanced AT, advanced technologies, and ARVs, alien reproduction vehicles that are the man-made ones, but also this whole area of nanobiotechnology, uh, consciousness and mind interface technologies, all manner of weapon systems that are what are called scalar or longitudinal, go faster than the speed of light. It's like an EMP, but on steroids, it has, uh, uh, instead of a wave like this for electromagnetic, it's a straight line that goes out longitudinally called okay. scalar. And those are faster than the speed of light. And they can be used for interstellar communications, but they can also be weaponized. They've been weaponized. So there are all manner, there's a whole constellation again of sciences and technologies and the, you know, the CIA science and technology guys, I've met with some of them, that are so far beyond what, let's call it the, the white world, the, the legal government, uh, including Lockheed, Northrop Grumman. My, my uncle never worked on this stuff. He worked on the lunar module, landed on the moon the first time. That was my mom's oldest brother. And his whole career was with Northrop Grumman. He was never read in to this other end of it. Mm -hmm. So that one of the things people have to keep in mind, most of the people in the military, CIA, special operations, uh, corporate, what have you, who work in that world are not part of some vast uh, conspiracy. It's incredibly tightly held. But that's her, that's, in my view, that's her Achilles heel. By definition, it has to be kept pretty small, pretty tight, which makes them vulnerable if, we'll get to this later, if the U.S. government actually has the will to go the distance to get this under control. And it, they need to get it under control fairly quickly because it's getting out of hand. 
Let's talk about Project Bluebeam. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what that is? Well, that's another subculture term that's been attached to a series of projects that involve uh, what the Pentagon, what they call a deceptive indication and warning or a false INW, which is a false flag. And it's the ability to stage through very advanced technologies an alien attack or an alien event. And it's a whole series of them. Now, what most people don't know about since 19, late 50s, early 60s, like the Barney Hill case and all that, um, those were all human assets abducting innocent people made to look alien. And so that psychological warfare op began, was authorized in, the, in 1953, 54. 1954, we mastered gravity control. So we started deploying these assets to begin to condition the public that there's a th scary threat from outer space. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Hollywood, Alien, you know, Ridley Scott's uh, movies. Uh, if you want to see a script for what's coming fairly soon, look at the movie Independence Day. Okay. It's right out of central casting for this covert group. Uh, so what their, their whole purpose is to create sort of a global militarized totalitarian super state of the world fighting another world. It's like War of the Worlds. Okay. And that's been a 70-year defense plan. And I know people who've seen that plan. Carol Rosen saw the plan, who is Werner Von Braun's spokesperson who's on our team. And she's almost 80 now, but brilliant mind. And, you know, when she realized in the 70s that this was what was afoot, she, her whole life was devoted to trying to get some of these projects under control. But you're, you know, where little David's up against an enormous Goliath. Um, and nevertheless, you know, the truth, if people want the truth, you may, might, one of the Gloria Steinem said, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Um, but it's time for people to, you know, actually realize that this is something they have to take seriously. So there are, now if you add those capabilities to <clears throat> holographic capability, scalar weapon capability, space-time systems where you can alter and sort of alter the flow of space-time in an area, which gets into some really... At the CIA, they call this WSFM, Weird Science and Frickin' Magic. At my uncle's company, I met an engineer that dealt with this stuff a couple years ago, and he said, we just call it PFM, pure fucking magic, excuse my language. But that, he says, literally, that's what we call it. So you're, you're dealing with technologies that are, and this is the problem, I call it the big technology gap between what conventional Pentagon, special forces, joint staff, Senate Intel, Armed Services, House Intel, the President, National Security people, what they know and what this group has. So what they know, it's like this is, you know, just to make this real for people. When I was briefing uh, years ago, the Admiral in charge of uh, J2 Joint uh, Intelligence for Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral uh, Wilson, and that memo leaked out where he was debriefed by Dr. Davis and everyone went, oh my God. And, and it, it states, you know, I was there for a stand-up briefing and what they don't know is that at the end of it, I asked the Admiral to help us get to, the, and this is 97, this is 26 years ago. And he said, well, I don't know how I'm going to help with something when the best technology I can deploy, we can deploy, is a B2 stealth. And this other group have objects that can do circles around the B2s. And he acknowledged that to me. 
I said, well, that doesn't mean you can't. He says, well, I can't unless it's authorized. I said, well, where do you need the authorization? Well, he felt he needed authorization from the SecDef, who had already been waived off, and the president, which was Clinton at the time, who had also, I have a very interesting story since I saw you, but we knew that Clinton had been approached by George H.W. Bush and told, butt out, this is none of your business, dealing with the UFO issue. Because this was one of the very first things Clinton wanted to know about, because I knew people who lived at the White House with him. Um, you know, he, he was very keen on getting to the bottom of it. But the efforts he launched were torpedoed, um, and he eventually backed off of it. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know that whole story. It's, a, it's an ugly story of corruption and power being abused. But, uh, but he did initially want to really find out what was going on, and it was a sincere effort. And there was an entire uh, special operation stood up around getting, getting that. But I have a very famous Hollywood uh, agent and a superstar who was in a limo with, um, I, they don't want me to use their names, uh, with, with Clinton after he left office. And they asked about the UFO issue, and the president said, oh, yes. He says, but they, I was told by George H.W. Bush that this was none of my business and butt out. And it was made very clear. You're just the you're you're only the president. You get the drift. So, you know. Now, obviously, <laughs> if we're going to have a constitution, the rule of law, and a democratic republic, that kind of thing cannot stand. But because of the power and the money behind this group, it has stood. And you know, years ago in '93, I was at the Wrigley Mansion, and I'll tell you, Sean, it was a very interesting meeting. It was like late at night, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and it was a conference room full of suits. And they approached me, and this is um, the fall of 93, just before I briefed CIA Director uh, Woolsey. And they said, look, you don't need to be talking. They knew all about this meeting that was going to happen. And I, you don't need to be talking to the president and, and the CIA Director about this. They don't know anything, and they're not going to know anything. If you want to know, you talk to us. We're the WFO. We're the work for other contractors. We're the people who are working on these technologies and doing the technology transfer. And then they were trying to convince me to side with what they were doing. And I said, no. I said, this is a corrupt enterprise. And then he offered, that he says, you're a doctor. You can take out as many credit cards as you want. We'll zero them out each month because we run the supercomputers that back up the entire banking system. And we can get an infinite amount of money through certain techniques. And so we'll just zero them out. I said, then you're going to own me, aren't you? Because isn't that credit card fraud and banking fraud? He says, no, we're just trying to help. You see how these, this is an absolutely true story. He put me under sodium pentothal lie detector. But at the end of it, he said, look, we have given at least, this is, now remember, this is 30 years ago. We have given at least 10,000 people $10 million a piece or more to secure their cooperation with this project. Wow. And that was 30 years ago. Now, money is no object. If you're printing the stuff up and you're running drugs and you're trafficking and you're siphoning off from the legitimate black budget, which there is a legitimate black budget that's overseen by the president and the key people in, in the Congress, we're totally legitimate. But a lot of money from that is siphoned off and is through overbilling to the government 
into these illegal projects. It's absolutely embezzlement. So we can prove this, by the way, and I have people who've seen it happen. Okay. But I think that when you look at that and you go, okay, well, this is where the center of power is. The center of power is not in the Congress, and it's not in the White House, and it's not in the legal constitutional government or the main part of the Pentagon or agency. It's in this group, and it's amassed so much power and wealth and technology that it is, and I'll be blunt, a threat to all life on Earth. It's a threat. It's way greater threat than China or Iran or Russia ever. And I think people have to take this, what I just said, very seriously, because all these other skirmishes, even if there were a couple nukes detonated, is nothing compared to the risk this group poses, given the technologies they possess and the intention to use it in a malevolent way, where they could stampede the whole world onto a trajectory that would be, you know, an Armageddon scenario. So, unfortunately, these people are serious about it. They're whacked out, in my opinion. One of the uh, knock I recently met with, he says, yeah, well, even in this world, and he's been in this uh, super black, dark world, uh, very high up, relatively high up, mid-level anyway. And he said, the way, for the folks who are these really super rogue operators, they're recruited for being sociopaths or psychopaths. Now, he says, I was recruited because I was willing to kill on behalf of the country or what's right, but, but not being a sociopath, to do it for the good, if you're going to use lethal force or any, any technology. These folks running these projects are a subset of people who are screened who are, in fact, sociopaths and psychopaths. Now, I'm using this clinically as a doctor. There's 4.5% of the U.S. population are sociopaths and psychopaths. So, I mean, and the ones that are high-functioning are identified and moved over into these rogue operations. Interesting. Yeah. Smart. Mm -hmm. Extremely smart. Yeah. Um, Let's take a quick break. Sure. And then we're going to get into the Disclosure Project. I don't know if I've ever been this excited to represent a brand. I'm talking about first form. I just align so well with what they've got. First Form is a supplement company. They have just about every supplement you can possibly imagine. All grade A stuff. Let's go through some of the stuff that, uh, some of my favorites. All right, here we go. One, Endura Performance. This is a non-stimulant pre-workout mix. Guess what? Made in the USA. Protein Sticks. And... The protein bar. Look, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm super busy. I don't have time to go to lunch. In fact, I don't even know what a lunch break is. This is my lunch for the most part. Then we got OptiReds 50. Guess what? Also made in the USA. So is the protein bar and the beef sticks, actually. But OptiReds 50, guess what, guys? Beets, super healthy for you. Guess what? They taste like shit. This doesn't. Two scoops, throw it in there. You get all the benefits of having beets with OptiReds 50. Then we've got protein. Everybody needs protein. If you're not taking protein, you should be, especially if you work out. My favorite, chocolate banana. Guys, let me tell you something else about First Form. The owner, CEO, Andy Frazella, 
guy has made a phenomenal company. True American Dream Story started from absolutely nothing, sleeping on a mattress in the back room of a very small shop. Now, he's built an empire. Check it out. Go to firstform.com slash SRS. He's also put a culture into his company that this entire country could use right now. Gave me a ton of inspiration. I used to listen to his podcast, Real as Fuck, when I was building my first studio in the attic of my house three and a half years ago, right when the show started. Can you believe that? Now I'm repping the brand. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, you might want to. Like I said, real as fuck. Check it out. I'm actually on there. I do a pretty decent job, but uh, let me know what you think. Anyways, once again, go to firstform.com slash SRS. And when you get there, if you order $75 or more worth of product, guess what? You're getting free shipping, but you're only getting that if you go to firstform.com slash SRS. That's 1-S-T-P-H-O-R-M slash SRS. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a real American company that aligns with all the values that America stands for. Check them out. I want to tell you all about this new meat delivery service I found called Moink. What I really, really like about Moink is they are from a small rural farm town in Missouri, LaBelle, Missouri, right by where I grew up. And I love supporting small town business USA. Now, when I started looking into Moink, they educated me on the meat industry. And I want to share with you all a couple of facts, according to Moinked Magazine. 60% of all pork is produced by one company in the U.S., and that is 100% owned by the Chinese. Four companies control over 80% of the meat industry in the United States. More than 10,000 different additives are allowed in the U.S. food supply. 99% of chicken, 95% of hogs, 78% of cattle in the U.S. are raised in confinement buildings or feedlots. Means they're not moving around freely. 80% of the antibiotics consumed in the U.S. are fed to animals. Here's a stat. In 2016, 18.4 million pounds of antibiotics were sold for livestock. And that's what you're eating. Suicide rates amongst farmers are the highest than any other profession, and that includes veterans, believe it or not. I found that alarming. Now, here's what Moink is doing to combat some of this stuff, which I really appreciate. Their livestock is 100% born and raised and harvested humanely in the United States of America. Their farms practice regenerative agricultural methods. They are free of GMOs, antibiotics, and all hormones. Their Alaska salmon is wild-caught. Their beef and lamb are grass-fed and grass-finished. Their boxes ship from rural America, right in small-town Missouri. Love it. Their chicken and pork are pasture-raised. So, guys, check them out. Moink. Keep America Farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com SRS. Right now, listeners on this show get free bacon in your first box. It will be the best bacon you will ever taste, but it's only for a limited time. It's spelled moink, 
M-O-I-N-K box.com slash SRS. That's moinkbox.com slash SRS. All right, Dr. Greer, we're back from the break. I forgot to give you a gift. Every time, the last time I forgot to do this too. It's okay. We just get to go, we get to go oh, and I get fascinated. <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, a gift bag for winning the contest for the whatever it is I've done. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So those in there, they got the Vigilance League gummy bears. Oh, good. Legal in all 50 states, believe it or not. And I uh, got your hat too. But thank you. Let's move on. So. Oh, good. You're going to disguise me up now. <laughs> so. I got a question from a friend of mine. I tried to connect you guys. I don't know if you guys connected or not, but um, my friend Chris Beck, hmm. and um, he just said an idea to run by you. Does this line, does this theory line up with UFO sightings? And then the question is, is it easier to see UFOs in grays in early hours, one hour before sunrise to an hour after sunrise? The ultraviolet of the sun is it. Little, the ultraviolet of sun is highest in these hours. To see repis is hour before and hour after sunset because infrared is highest in these hours? Well, actually, it really depends on what modality they're operating in. So what that, what that means is uh, an interstellar vehicle. Now, let's distinguish between the ones that we have versus the ones that are interstellar. They can phase in and out of this say 3D, instantaneously. So you could have one right over your building right here. No sensor would pick it up because it's actually shifted the frequency of it out of linear space-time. Uh, sort of, so this is what I call trans-dimensional physics. And then in an instant, nanosecond, it could be 3D or it could be something in between. So it's a little bit if you've ever had a rheostat for a dimmer switch or something, you can make it brighter, dimmer, turn it all the way off. So those technologies allow for an object to be fully in 3D or shifted dimensionally, literally, out into another dimension and back. Now, these are not interdimensional. They're more trans-dimensional because their origins are another star system. There are also interdimensional objects, and those are things from another dimension that is not from the, the material cosmos, but they can be confused with some of the extraterrestrial uh, phenomena. It's a very complex thing. So in terms of seeing these objects, I think people, you know, when it's not super bright uh, in the, with the sun, you're going to see more uh, an object that's going to be silhouetted than in bright, bright sunlight. Okay. Um, and the other issue, I think, is that the ones that we have can also operate in a way where they are substantially have an electromagnetic field around them that can kind of cloak them, but under certain lighting conditions and radiation, let's call it infrared, ultraviolet, it depends on the condition, you can get a glimpse of them as they're moving. Uh, so I think that this gets into understanding the underlying technology and physics of how these objects work. And that's why when we're doing our, our expeditions where we're going out, making contact and looking, we have a whole set of protocols and I train people on what to look for, what the phenomenon might be. You know, if you're having cameras, whether it's settings, I don't do camera work, full disclosure, I'm an idiot with cameras, but um, so that you have it set properly. 
and what and also know what to look for. Uh, but I think that the um, technology determines more than the time of day, but the time of day might facilitate. That's why I think when when it's still light, but it's not bright light, and the, that spectrum you, you'll see an object more easily. Okay. But I think it has to do with I don't think it has to do with the actual innate occurrence. I think it has to do with what we can see. What we can see with these things. Okay. Are ours. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When you're talking transdimensional, what? How do I even ask this? When we're talking other dimensions, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Well, it, the universe. Let's call it the cosmos. You know, it's, it's described by astrophysicists as sort of this 3D thing. Now, if you look at uh, quantum entanglement and the concepts of the universe being a holographic conscious entity, which it is, then you start talking about not just material, but you're also talking about uh, other dimensions that are at refined levels of frequencies and vibration. So the speed of light, the speed of electrons, atoms, what have you, all of that would pertain to what we call the 3D, three-dimensional. If you were to cross over that in, in frequencies, and this is, again, where you start getting into some very strange WSFM, like I mentioned, phenomenon, then you're talking about other embedded dimensions, but it's not like it's some distant place. It's folded within. So, you know, a, a hologram, if you look at a hologram of Marilyn Monroe with her dress blowing up, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. If you were to just zoom in on one little piece of that dress on the edge of the, her, her, her skirt you and zoom in on it, the entire image would be in there and zoom in again. It'd be, it's holographic. So you have to kind of get your mind around the cosmos is this conscious quantum hologram. And so there are many, many, many dimensions, not just this plane of three dimension uh, that is all enfolded within it. So a lot of the confusion happens where everything, like a, something weird, like a poltergeist event, will be conflated with uh, something extraterrestrial. Well, it isn't. You know, it's, it was someone who, like in the ER, I had this happen once. Some guy that was killed, couldn't save him. You know, it was murder, and he was angry. And at 3 in the morning, he started taking all the stuff out of the cabinets. But he wasn't there. It was just his spirit. Weird stuff. So that kind of phenomenon isn't extraterrestrial. It's interdimensional. You see what I'm saying? I do. Okay, so I'm trying to do some very kind of cr crude analogies. But th the confusion comes in is that if you're an interstellar capable civilization, which means you're going from point A in the cosmos to here, B, it's like if, you, if this were a piece of paper you're not going a straight line across the paper. You're folding the paper, being space-time. Okay. And so these two points are here. I'm right? enlightened now. And so, but in the process of doing that, it, this sort of bending and, and altering space-time, you then bump up against and cross these other dimensions. And this is sort of the intersection between what some people call metaphysics and physics or the conscious worlds and the, the worlds of light, if you will, the mystics would call astral, 
and extraterrestrial technologies. And it's a very interesting intersection. I, I find that the most interesting part of this whole subject, but it quickly, you, you have to be, you go in the crazy town way too quickly with a lot of people out there who don't know enough to talk about it intelligently, in my opinion. But it's also dangerous. And here's why it's dangerous. Those capabilities can be technologically stimulated to occur. It's like the Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> After a certain cell of this covert group got hold of that thing, they started setting up phenomenon there. It's absolutely man-made, high-end electronics, but interdimensional. It's like the show Stranger Things. I've never seen it, but it, that's based on some weird stuff that went on at Montauk on Eastern Long Island, the Montauk projects. And we know what those are. I know guys who've been in laboratories where they have a, a toroid or one of these devices, and suddenly they're pulling in spooky-looking creatures that look like they came out of the ninth ring of hell, and they, they literally become 3D and are running around the lab. Weird stuff. All right, so the high end of the WSFM is, is this sort of thing. But that can be used in a deceptive indication and warning. It, it can be used in a way that everyone on planet Earth would think that it's alien, and it isn't. I see what you mean. Okay, so this is the real, the real danger in all of this, not being disclosed and known, particularly by policymakers and the government and Pentagon and all these folks, is that... They're not going to be able, they're going to be so easily gaslit and deceived by people presenting all kinds of phenomena, plural, as extraterrestrial when it isn't. Because they have mastered the ability of this, what's called stagecraft. That's literally what it's called in some circles. Uh, and this gets back to this whole question of Project Bluebeam, where they could stage. But what their capabilities are way beyond what most people think they are. And I began working with some of these geniuses back in the early 90s that I met who in late 1950s and 60s had figured this out. So the electronics uh, and the very high-end electromagnetic field systems that can do this were unpacked pretty well by between 1955 and 1965, in that a decade. So with, these, with the different dimensions, is, so there's another dimension in this room right now, and we just can't... Within this room, folded, it's the enfoldment, it's quantum entanglement. So, you know, what Einstein called the spooky effect, you know, where the same particle be in two places at once. Mm -hmm. but, but visualize that uh, at every point in space and time, at this level of quantum entanglement, you have access to any other point in space and time, but also these other dimensions, up to and including the, the most rarefied, what some people would call the, the conscious being, the unbounded consciousness. It's all folded within this, in what I call the real cosmology, uh, understanding the cosmology, which is way beyond astrophysics, current astrophysics. Uh, but, but I think that's the part of this where when you start experimenting with and, and reverse engineering an extraterrestrial vehicle, their communication systems are not based on the speed of light like our cell phones, right, or video. They're based on this understanding of the cosmos because they've lived for millennia in that understanding. And so this is why, you know, we talk about the fact that they have 
technologies that interface with directed thought. I call it technology-assisted consciousness and consciousness that assists the technology so they can interface bioelectric field and thought and they navigate the spacecraft. Shit. Really, really cool stuff. I mean, you know, Elon Musk is trying to do some stuff with Neuralink, but he's still using wires and at the speed of light. But the idea would be the same, that your, your thought could actuate to a technological interface that would then not only be used in communication, because what's that? The speed of thought versus the speed of light. Yeah. But think about why that's so important. If you're from the Andromeda galaxy, which is two and a half million light years from here, at the speed of light, your cell phone, it would take two and a half million years for a signal to get there and another two and a half million years for them to answer and you hear it. It's five million years. So when I, when I, when I talk about this, I say th- there are certain technological thresholds you have to have crossed if you're an extraterrestrial interstellar civilization. Those technologies have... The good news is we, we understand them and they could be used to great purpose on Earth. Energy generation, healing, all kinds of things medical. But right now they're in the hands of the worst group of sociopaths that have ever lived. And they dwarf by far Stalin or Hitler in terms of their intention and their capabilities way beyond. It's not the buffoonery of the Third Reich. It's just the high tech, very dangerous end. Now, this is, this to me is, as a doctor, I tell people, this is like a knife or, you know, I can use a knife to put butter on my bread or I can use it to slit your throat. Now, so technology is neutral. It's the, it's the consciousness and the intention of those who wield it, who have it. Mm-hmm. In this situation right now, it's the worst of all worlds because you have the most amazing, wonderful technologies in the hands of the worst group ever that, that have quite a bit of malice and intention. So this is what I think has to be fixed, and that's, that's why the Disclosure Project is trying to move this along. First, yes, now we've established UFOs are real. Well, that was known in the 50s, 60s, 40s. But now what's behind all that? Unpacking all the detail. And the reason the scientific end of this is so important, even for operations, is that this group of illegal covert human projects, they have surveillance, communication systems, transport systems and sciences that are Ben Rich the week before he died told James Goodall, you heard him at our conference, last when the last men to talk to him. He says, anything that you've seen in Star Trek and can imagine we've done at the Lockheed Skunk Works. And he said, not at that, not at Area 51, but at the desert base, the underground facility. Let's get into the disclosure project. <laughs> For 100 plus years, advanced technology has been seized, isolated, and hidden away. This has suppressed the advancement of technology and human progress. The Disclosure Project archives include government documents from the United States, Canada, Australia, Russia, and the UK, 145 top secret facilities and base maps, 755 now, Witness accounts from military, corporate, and government sources, 121 UFO crash retrievals. 
Yep, it's all in our archive. What are some of the 145 top secret facilities that you know about? Well, you know, everyone talks about Area 51. That's an old one. Um, it's still operational. Uh, and particularly, you know, S3, S4, Pahoot uh, Mesa, um, out in Groom Lake. Are these in the U.S.? Yeah, or? this is, this is N Nellis. N okay. You know, that one. Um, and that's operational, has been since the 50s. Uh, a, a more state-of-the-art one is actually in the Dugway Proving Grounds, which is in Utah. Is this the one that um, you disclosed at the at the conference? Yes. I'm going to put a picture up of it right yeah. now. And so uh, that facility, there's something called the Avery Sector, A-V-E-R-Y, where there are these assets. There's an extraterrestrial vehicle that was being studied there when one of our witnesses, I think he was there in 2009, uh, when that object had been downed. You know, they're, they're downed by these electromagnetic pulse weapons because the ET craft are completely electromagnetic. So, um, you know, a kinetic weapon would not be so effective, a um, missile or a laser, but an electromagnetic pulse or scalar weapon stuns them and they'll come down Sometimes they crash, sometimes they're intact. If they're intact, then you have the whole thing to study. And that's where this man was in a facility where they had an entire intact one. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a vast underground facility there. So they're downing these aircraft with basically a directed EMP weapon. Yes, but a more sophisticated than the legal constitutional government would know about because you're going to add to normal EMP uh, uh, let's call it a, uh, a supercharged part of it that's scalar, what I mentioned before, where it's a point uh, that goes out longitudinally without the waveform. Okay. So that's why, you know, light propagates at 186,000 miles every second. These are not limited that way because it's a point that goes out straight line. It, it, see what I'm saying? Yes. So now you're bypassing, you're exceeding the speed of light. It's essentially... Teleportation. That's different. We'll get into that if you want to. That, but no, I'm talking about just a, a, a type of uh, energy weapon. Mm -hmm. But it can also be used for communication. And uh, I think in the old days, in the early 20th century, mid 20th century, there were people who stumbled across. And Tesla wrote about scalar waves. So hold on. Can so, be used so for this other. isn't a this isn't a point A to point B line. It's not linear. It's not a linear weapon. If I shoot a gun, the bullet goes, you can see it. Right. You know, and if I shot a laser, you could see it, you know, f travel from point A to point B. Are you saying that these weapons do not? Well, they go from point A to point B, but by passing a linear space-time, meaning they're, they're in the entangled quantum. Okay. So quantum entanglement basically is where every point in space and time is connected through what's called quantum entanglement. Mm -hmm. So when you have a quantum scalar weapon, then you're able to uh, target an object at multiples of the speed of light. Uh, and uh, those weapons are, they're very dangerous because one of the things we have to be careful of is while these civilizations that are extraterrestrial are I mean, to me, they're the equivalent of Gandhi that they haven't struck back. 
uh, at all. So, but, but I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, the more these weapons get perfected and you get into multiple generations of them, the more humans are a risk to other planets. If you watch this show at all, you know I am a very big proponent when it comes to psychedelic therapy. I have my own journey. It's helped me in more ways than I can even begin to describe in one sitting. And I found this new company called Mindbloom. Let me tell you about it. There's no quick fix for anxiety and depression. It's not finding a new therapist or starting an exercise routine. Not more and regular meditation or a better diet. Sometimes you need something to unlock your brain. A new way of thinking and seeing the world. Maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy from Mindbloom. But there's a new tool to improve your mental health. At-home ketamine therapy. Mindbloom is a leader in at-home ketamine therapy, having helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. Unlike traditional talk therapy, ketamine can work quickly and doesn't have the unpleasant side effect of traditional antidepressants. In a study of over 1,200 clients, 89% have found improvement in anxiety and depression in just two sessions. Right now, Mindbloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com SRS and use the promo code SRS. Take the first step and break free from your anxiety and depression with Mindbloom. That's mindbloom.com slash SRS. Use the promo code SRS. I want to give a big thank you out right now to all the Vigilance Elite patrons out there that are watching the show right now. Just want to say thank you guys. You are our top supporters and you're what makes this show actually happen. If you're not on Vigilance Lead Patreon, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in there. So, we do a little bit of everything. There's plenty of behind the scenes content from the actual Sean Ryan show. On top of that, basically what I do is I take a lot of the questions that I get from you guys or the patrons and then I turn them into videos. So we get, right now there's a lot of concern about self-defense, home defense, crimes on the rise, all throughout the country, actually all throughout the world. And so we talk about everything from how to prep your home, how to clear your home, how to get familiar with a firearm, both rifle and pistol, for beginners and advanced. We talk about mindset, we talk about defensive driving. We have an end of the month live chat that I'm on at the end of every month where we can talk about whatever topics you guys have. It's actually done on Zoom. You might enjoy it, check it out. And if Zoom's not your thing, or you don't like live chats, like I said, there's a library of well over 100 videos on where to start with prepping, all the firearm stuff, pretty much anything you can think of, it's on there. So anyways, go to www.patreon.com slash Vigilance Elite, or just go in the link in the description. It'll take you right there. And if you don't want to, and you just want to continue to watch the show, that's fine too. I appreciate it either way. Love you all. Let's get back to the show. Thank you. Well, and with these weapons, I'm trying to understand this. Yeah. And I, I think I have 
at least a grasp of mm-hmm. quantum entanglement. So what you're saying, so so every every point of space and time is connected. Correct. Through whatever, atoms. We'll just, I'll just call them atoms. Yeah, but with no time delay. And so if I was to use one of these energy weapons, let's just say from me to you, mm-hmm. six feet apart, mm-hmm. and I use this energy weapon at the exact same time to an object that's... 75,000 miles away. It'd be the same time interval. It would be... Take the amount, same amount of time. It would be the exact same amount of time. Right. Okay, that's what I, that's okay. what I thought. So, so how does that differentiate from teleportation? Teleportation is actually the movement of an object from point to A to B. Okay. Okay, not just the energy. So you, know, you take this bottle and you okay. do it that way. Okay. So it, it's, in a, it's, it's in the same sort of, again, category of transdimensional physics and advanced physics and technologies. And the real action is in the electromagnetic and magnetic spin, all of that. And so the people who understand this that I've met with who've worked on these technologies and have had them in their labs, um, and I've been in some of these labs, is a fascinating uh, technology. And if it was used for something good, I mean, we'd have a whole new planet here. I mean, it'd be phenomenal, beautiful. Wow. Well, that's what The Lost Century, the documentary that we just released, is all about 100 years of these sort of technologies that have been sequestered and confiscated and how, if they were disclosed, we would have a civilization uh, well within your baby's lifetime before he's in high school. We'd have a world with no pollution, no poverty, and no energy issues in terms of energy shortage because you'd be pulling energy out of uh, the fabric of space-time and the so-called zero-point or quantum vacuum from this quantum level. And that's what Tesla stumbled across. I mean, he didn't call it that because the the physics of it weren't fully elaborated, but he, he, he saw the effect of it. We're going to get into that. That's the. We're going to get into the documentary for, for now. Um, back to the underground facility. Mm-hmm. That's a big one at Dugway. It's the what this gentleman firsthand had not been in it. He has the name of a scientist, senior scientist, U.S. government that was at the Dugway facility, and he said that the complex that's underground goes out. It's about thirteen hundred square miles. Not acres, miles. 1,300 square miles? Yeah. What's in there? All this stuff. The technologies, the craft, operations. Um, We know that I had a man who was out there who had special night vision. He was special uh, operations embedded, but he was a scientist. And he was out there, and wee hours, there were these massive triangular objects, silent, launching from that area, but underground, and would come out over the range, no lights on them, totally fully operational. Um, and you know, those, those are, are one category of the man-made advanced technology platforms or alien reproduction vehicles, some people call them. There are quite a few out there at Dugway. These government documents from the U.S., Canada, Australia, Russia, and the U.K., what are some of those documents? Oh, they run the whole gamut. For example, I have a document, it wasn't declassified, but it was provided to me by a source 
from uh, Area 51, Nellis, and it's, uh, it lists as of the early 90s. Uh, I got it in the 90s, uh, all the code numbers and code names that were on a security alert because there were a group of civilians who were trying to spy on the range where they had to shut everything down because it was a large group. Um, and it was a security alert, but it was an NRO document, National Reconnaissance Office document. And it had key names on it. It had MAGI on it, the Majority Joint Intelligence Committee, or MAGIC. It had Cosmic Ops on it, Royal Ops. It had Blackjack Control on it. It had key actionable intelligence. And that's one of the documents I gave to some of the folks in the White House over the years or Pentagon because it's, it's a legitimate document that actually gives specific code word and numbers uh, that were out in that particular area. And it's still there. I mean, it's not like you pick up an asset like that and move it to where. Um, so we know where they are. And that's why our 145 facilities, uh, I've just learned of a new one that we'll be putting on that map soon. I'm supposed to be taken there. Where's this? I can't say where, but the, can we, right now. Can we put the map up? Yes, and you put the map up, you'll see many of them are places people know. They know Edwards Air Force Base, but where? Um, where do you go to uh, at the Nellis Range? It's a huge range, the Air Force Base. Uh, and then the Nevada test site, which is the, where we tested uh, nuclear weapons going north. But out there, there's some very key assets. And there's a Delta Force Hilo base out there that's used for retrieving extraterrestrial vehicles and retrieving downed, uh, accidentally crashed uh, man-made ones that malfunction. So we have a man on our team who was on a retrieval operation initially for conventional aircraft, jets, for their classified components. And then he got read into uh, an operation retrieving the man-made ones, which blew his mind, the Raytheon and Northrop ones. Then he got read into the ones that are, uh, you know, oh, he was on one operation where we stunned one of these extraterrestrial vehicles. This one I showed at the event. Uh, and it didn't crash. It got stunned and landed out there on the range, the Nevada test range. And they were moved in in helos to uh, retrieve it. And uh, that interesting account of that, uh, it began to come back to life. And uh, an opening came out of it, and it looked like a fruit roll-up came down. And a couple of extraterrestrials emerged that he had. He literally was in three or four feet of them. And we have the drawing of them, of what they look like. But what happened is that at that point, that craft was being checked by... Uh, helicopters in the air, as well as one of these ARVs, uh, man-made ones, the triangular. When they, it, this thing began to sort of glow at reddish and come to life, boom, our aircraft took off. Now the boots on the ground there and the choppers on the ground, after a few minutes, they were all, I know this sounds like Star Trek, they were all teleported back to the Hilo base instantly. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they weren't harmed. None of them were harmed. But apparently this whole event convinced this particular operator to get out of that system because he knew what, what he sensed from these ETs was that they were completely benign, very much here to help us, and we were doing horrible things to them. And they also said, we know what you're doing. We're not going to allow you to do this much longer. 
It was sort of a warning. That happened in 2000 and, um, I believe that was 2010, 11 time period. So what's your goal with the Disclosure Project? Well, our goal is, first of all, to get this information to the key policymakers and uh, people in the government who have responsibility for our national security, but also in other countries as well, and to the public so that they understand the difference, in my opinion, between the false information being purveyed, which is the dominant information that's out on the Internet and Hollywood and shows, and the real information that needs to be understood by the public so that the public isn't deceived. So we have both an internal governmental uh, objective to guide the government in understanding this and getting them as much detailed, actionable intelligence as possible. Like the details, and this is how they've gotten this far. The reason the bill that was just came out of committee and the intelligence committee is because they now understand if you read that bill that is given sort of a safe harbor six months amnesty period for these corporations and people to come forward or they'll be prosecuted, that is in the bill that left committee. And I've been pushing for this for a long time. The first time I recommended it was in 1993 to Bill Clinton, and nobody wanted to do it. Now it's going to happen, but that sets a clock. And so the Disclosure Project's objective is to give the legal government of the United States that we have allegiance to, and that we the people, the public, the information, so that these rogue and very criminal activities can be brought under proper supervision and control, access control. And that's not the case right now. And it's dangerous that it isn't. So it's a very big step that first in December, they signed this law allowing uh, whistleblowers to come forward through the uh, Pentagon process, which, which is a top secret skiff situation. But now this bill is going to explicitly state that these corporations, anybody having exotic materials, clearly referring to extraterrestrial type materials, technologies, bodies, those have to be disclosed and turned over to the legal U.S. government, or they will then be subject to prosecution criminally. Um, so that's a, a six-month window now. So that clock has started. That's a six-month window. Yeah. And you're also going to make all of this, which a lot of it already is, open source information. For yeah, so if we could see. get some... <laughs> you have to imagine myself and my wife and a few volunteers trying to scan, organize 8, 10 terabytes of data and then create a database system that's searchable and then eventually get it on the internet. Now, what we do have to redact, the unredacted archive I'm giving to the top investigators in the Congress and the Pentagon group. Uh, the White House got a redacted version uh, because they're not really leaning into this much yet, um, the, which they should be. Mm -hmm. But I have someone in the White House military office that, that we're providing information to. But um, those, the, the, the redacted one, just to be clear, the only thing we're holding back are the personal names of these you know, hundreds of whistleblowers who don't want their names known, mm -hmm. um, except under certain conditions. And also, they're, you know, like they're, if they have a DD-214, I'm not going to release in a, in a, in a non-secure manner 
So the, the folks who have the unredacted, those go into a skiff, they go into a vault, they have it. Now, I will say on the record, anyone who says the U.S. government is not in possession of all the facts and the actual intelligence to get to the bottom of this is a liar or ignorant. They're either a liar or they're ignorant because that was handed off three weeks ago, all of it. So there's actually no excuse now. The only excuse they'd have now is that they're part of a cover-up, in which case they should be prosecuted. And I'm saying even the people in the Aero office in the Pentagon, they either move on this and do it with integrity or they should be prosecuted. Let's move into your new documentary, The Lost Century. Sure. It's all about advanced technology, how it's been, for how it's been around for over 100 years but kept secret. Zero-point energy, yep. a lot of people call free energy, is also mm -hmm. called the quantum vacuum. This would basically eliminate the need for fossil fuels, utilities. Wind, everything. solar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Winds, every, every means to power that we have now would make it completely obsolete. It would be unlimited, clean, and right. free energy. And we've had it for 100 years. How do we, so let's get into this. How, how did you discover this stuff? Well, it was an outgrowth of me looking into the, the UFO UAP issue. Because once you realize these objects are real, three-dimensional, the very first question, actually, when I, was, when I go up uh, to Capitol Hill or someplace, I'll put up the footage, the footage that the Pentagon said, this is a real 3D object. Infrared sensors, no heat, no jets, no rockets, and certainly no nuclear power plant on it because, I mean, those things are hot, right? Mm -hmm. There, there are, have been nuclear-powered aircraft and satellites. But I said, how is that moving at those speeds and then straight up against gravity? This is the alternative energy and propulsion systems. So I always tell people, forget all the mythology and everything. It's an alternative energy system. Now, it's a very advanced one because it also flies. Now, to be, to be really clear, I am not advocating not the release of the things that fly yet. Why? It's a missile delivery system. So you don't really want to open source an electrogravitic anti-gravity system that allows terrorists in Mogadishu to get a dirty bomb over downtown D.C. and two or three seconds, mm -hmm. right? No. Now, but the things that would sit at your house, like your heat pump, all right, or in the hood of your car, that would run your car or your factory or your business or your home, those devices that are not things that fly, those are just pulling energy from the fabric of space-time around it. And physicists have estimated that the volume of space in a coffee mug has enough potential energy to boil off all the oceans of the world. Is that much latent energy? So tapping into it to run the entire United States, the whole world, be like taking a thimble of water out of the Great Lakes. So it is what, you know, Tesla called it the infinite energy field. And it began to be discovered, if you look at it, all the way back. But it, as soon as you step into the reality the three-dimensional reality of these uh, UAPs and UFOs, you immediately begin talking to people, and this is what happened to me in the early 90s, to people who know the physics of the energy systems, because these things are not using oil, gas, coal, nuclear, whatever you. 
So it's a, it's a natural extension of the problem. And I point out to people, one of the central reasons for the secrecy that got out of control under Eisenhower's late last four years as president was because once they realized how this works, they realized the big industrialist and financial and global moneyed people, banking, this would be the end of that entire sector of the macroeconomic system. Well, that would have been great if it had been transitioned before I was born in 1955, because look at the world we have now. But it really could have started coming out in the early teens and 20s. If you look at the documentary, The Lost Century, the, the subcaption is, and how to reclaim it. We talk about how we need to come together as a people and develop these energy generation systems and open source them, meaning that it's no patent, no intellectual property held back at the first level of this because the patent office will seize it. We prove that in the documentary. We have a national security order on a patent that a scientist I know submitted. We took his name off of it. So the question is, are there some people who can financially uh, put up the funds and it needs to be a substantial amount, you know, 50 to 100 million to start, to create a high energy physics lab that develops this and gets it out to the public, no intellectual property holdback. Or if there was that much funds available, we could go to some of these scientists who probably have these and say, look, we want to just acquire this. You'll be, here's $10 million, now go and relax. Let us move this out to the public. You can't do it. Most of these engineers and scientists and inventors think they're going to do it the way they do a new software program. And they're going to try to monetize it through uh, intellectual property protections and patent. You cannot do that with this because the system is so completely weaponized and corrupt. And I'm talking from the patent office on uh, that the only way to do it is to do an open source release of it massively through the internet blockchain. So that's what we're doing. But the technology... If you, go, if you look at this documentary, you'll see this trajectory. There's a, a great photograph with Nikola Tesla with this engineer farmer, self-taught guy. I believe it was 1908 or 1902, the caption. And this guy had like an earth battery. He had some uh, metallic stakes and wires in the ground. He was pulling resonant energy. He was running his farm. Wow. Night, I mean, my, even my father, you know, I wasn't alive. He was born in 1916. This was before my dad, who was hand-to-hand -hand combat in World War II with the Japanese amphibious landing unit. Uh, but, you know, I'm going, what the heck? You know, we have our planet. Half the planet's population doesn't have indoor plumbing. Three billion people have no way to cook their food. They're cutting down the rainforest. Three billion. The biosphere, even if you don't think climate change is real, five million people die from breathing particulate matter, soot, all over the world from this noxious stuff we keep burning. Yeah. So we need to take care of our creation, the earth, and our future. And it isn't going to happen with a windmill and a solar panel. Believe me, no way you're going to run 8 billion people off of the, those technologies. We're going to have to have innovative, high-tech solutions to the energy and environmental and poverty problems. I mean, look, you know, I just want to backtrack on that real quick when you're talking about people dying from from inhaling these particles and these oh, chemicals yeah. and shit i mean you know this is this unfortunately is a touchy subject you know the the, the pollution and i 
in climate change and all this shit, but what I can attest to that is 100% fact is what you just said, because I've been to these parts of the world. Yeah. I've spent over a decade in these parts of the world, and you see, one, you see all these veterans coming home, dying of weird cancers from shit that they breathed in overseas. Yep. And, and I can tell you in the winter time, the winter time in Afghanistan, the soot is so thick in the air mm -hmm. that if you go outside for, I mean, we're talking just yep. five minutes yep. and you go back inside and spit in, mm -hmm. spit in the sink or spit in whatever. Blow your nose. Yeah. You're, it, you're, you're, you're going to spit gray. Right. And, but those fine particles get into your lungs and then mm -hmm. your circulatory and heart and cause a huge number of problems. Not just cancers, but I'm talking heart, lung disease. So why are we doing that when these technologies have existed? Now this same corrupt organization, because it doesn't just deal with one issue, have been responsible for basically hoovering up, vacuuming up all these technologies for 100 years. Uh, I know people personally, personally, who have been murdered because they had one. And it's because they very, against my advice, AMA, against medical advice, against their own security interests, they wanted to keep it secret. And they thought they were gonna be so clever and they were gonna outfox this big super state of thugs. I'm going, yeah. dude, you have no idea what you're up against here. And then they think they're gonna do encryption and keep it secret. I'm going, oh my God. You think this group needs to worry about an electromagnetic encryption when they can target a volume of space anywhere and extract anything being said? I mean, I, can... I mean, it's, you know, and it's, I understand it because if you're in the normal engineering world, you're it's not going to know believe this. It. It's hard to believe it. But I said, you know, if you don't believe it, just wait. You're going to be dead or it'll be confiscated. And I, you know, you're only, you're lucky if all they do is come in and kick your door in hit you with a national security order and drag it off. You know, that's your best outcome. That's your best case scenario, if you do it the conventional way. So I go, look, you know, it's like, what is that saying attributed to Einstein? The, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. The reason I can prove that the strategy most people use doesn't work is that we can prove these technologies have been around for over 100 years, and you and I are still tied into a coal-fired or gas-fired power grid, right? So if, if the strategies, if the, if the conventional business and technology strategies were gonna work, they would have worked before you, know, you and I were born. So we need, to think, we need to have different thinking about this strategically. So what we're saying is all of these technologies, if they're used for peaceful pur purposes, would really give us a whole new civilization, beautiful. Uh, now, the downside is, given what humans are, we like to take any new technological breakthrough and weaponize it. But the truth is, they've already done that. We've already weaponized these things. How do you think that these, the anti-gravity technology that's using gravity as a power source, how is that happening? Can, do you have a brief explanation on? I, I really think it's gravity control and gravity wave control. Uh, as for a power source, I think the power source was better described as this quantum vacuum energy or zero point energy. But if you, so there's, it's like two separate things, but are related. So you can have a zero point energy system 
or a free energy system, it doesn't move and it's not affecting gravity. But at a certain resonant frequency and power, and it has to do with uh, vortices, toroidal energy patterns, you can then cause what's, what I call mass cancellation, where an object literally takes on weightlessness. Now, if you go back in the documentary, we touch on this, all the way back to beef, uh, T. Townsend Brown and what was later called the Beefield Brown effect. In the late 1920s, he took a very high voltage system at a very certain, uh, with wires around a crystalline material and it levitated, just floated. Now, that was almost 100 years ago, late 20s. Uh, that was then the Kalski-Frost experiment in Germany, around the same time, confirmed it. Later, the whole Beefield-Brown effect, studying very high-voltage VHV systems, began to be increasingly studied and classified in the 30s and 40s. By the time World War II ended, Adolf Hitler had a disc-shaped electrogravitic, but it wasn't stable which is why he could never use it in the war. But it was brought back to America by Paul Mellon and uh, Patton, General Patton and uh, Alan Dulles. Uh, but th th so that device actually became a very important object to study at the end of World War II. And of course it also, that technology got advanced greatly by studying the extraterrestrial materials that we also were beginning to acquire by using electromagnetic uh, weapons to down the ET craft. So you had two rivers of technology being developed from the 20s, 30s, 40s that intersected with the extraterrestrial technologies and they hybridized them. Shit. So that's what happened between 1945 and 55, that decade. How, how many different ways do you think, is, is, how many different ways are there to harness this kind of energy? Oh, I think there are dozens. How did, how did Tesla do it? Tesla, I think, was actually capturing resonant magnetic field energy of the Earth that's almost boundless. So there are a lot of, quote, free energy approaches. I think the ones that use these very high voltage systems that create a sort of a vector, a tap, as it were, into this uh, quantum vacuum energy and zero point energy field. Uh, those began to be stumbled across, but sort of episodically as a phenomenon back in the late 1800s, because that was the heyday when they were first discovering electromagnetism. And I think Maxwell and Ferret, some of these guys stumbled across this, but they didn't know what it was. You were getting more energy out than you had to put in. So I think you can have a rotational coil-based device. Uh, Floyd Sweet, who we feature in, in the movie, had a solid-state device that was about this big that could run a 300 horsepower electric engine for your car. No other batteries, the little teeny. Uh, yeah, that was, you had video of that. And, yep, and we have video of it. It was tested by a Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Tom Bearden, who's a very dear friend of mine, just passed away. Um, he handed off all of what he knew about this to us. We have a um, file that was a, a CIA operative named Sajaki that I knew, but he had a, a guy I know named uh, John Bedini who um, was allowed to copy a bunch of confiscated patents, uh, and we have that disc. So we need to send up a, a research lab to do this and get to the bottom of it, I think, Sean, very quickly, because we need to do it. Look, if this technology came out in the next year or two, 
by a group that could just put it out, open source it, thousands of companies would then ad- adopt it. And we'd be able to really transform the trajectory of, of, of the planet. Now, there are going to be certain losers in that process. Like any new technology, oil, gas, coal, centralized public utilities, they'll all have to be retired. But keep in mind, it's going to take 15 years to do this. You know, your car and my car running, if, if you have a, a conventional vehicle, 100 million vehicles are made a year. There are one and a half billion motor vehicles on the road worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's 15 years if you waved a magic wand and converted every manufacturing entity to a zero-point electric system. That's not going to happen. So, you know, it's going to take a couple of decades to make this transition anyway. It should have happened 100 years ago. Why do you think so many UFOs spottings are, are happening around these nuclear sites? Well, we know the answer to that. And, of course, he didn't get to go into it, but Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, who was the uh, U-2 pilot who was there, um, he dealt specifically with this in, in information dealing with the, the uh, extraterrestrial concern over nuclear facilities. And it, it's multiple reasons. One, they're very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of biological life on Earth. Obviously, mutual assured destruction would do that. Uh, and believe it or not, these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future. But they're also secondarily, maybe equally, concerned about containing the warlike nature of humans from being exported out into space. Now, the nuclear issue, when you detonate a nuclear device or there's an accident, Everyone knows what an EMP is. We've talked about electromagnetic pulse. There's also a type of scalar pulse that goes out that literally rips through space-time that disrupts interstellar communication and travel. This is why, you know, I was talking to Gordon Crichton, who is an MI6 guy and a military intelligence guy in the United Kingdom who's passed away, but he's one of our witnesses. He used to publish Flying Saucer Review that uh, uh, Prince Charles and Prince Philip subscribed to. Interesting. But what he said was basically when we did that, the first atomic bomb explosion, it actually was like kicking a hornet's nest because now Teller, Edward Teller and Oppenheimer, they didn't know that when one of those things would go off that it would create this kind of pulse, not electromagnetic pulse, but this other wave that actually goes through the entangled cosmos in a way that is highly disruptive to uh, other civilizations, communications, and travel. So this began to be a huge red flag went up over the Earth. Warning, this is a group of you know, primitive emerging civilization that is a, th- a threat to themselves and a threat to others out there. They don't even know how threat, what a big threat this is. So the whole nuclear issue uh, is what caused the modern era of uh, UFO, ET-related events to take place because I think they've obviously been watching the Earth and and been involved in in seeing its development for millennia. There's good evidence for that. I mean, there are cave cave drawings from 5,000 years ago that have been carbon dated to that age that show a classic disc and with 
look like ET beings outside of it from France and India and all over. So I don't think it's it's not as if they didn't know we were here. It's that when we hit that point, and what they really were trying to get Truman and Eisenhower to do, the ETs, were to wind that down and go on a different trajectory, which is what we're recommending now, 60 years later. And that is to pivot to getting rid of this conflict-oriented endless war scenario with these kind of weapons and move towards a peaceful solution to our conflicts, but then begin to adopt these technologies so that human civilization can advance without cannibalizing the earth and killing off the oceans. So I think this is something that we took a pass on. It was a, tr a tragic error. The big error happened on here. I'm just be honest with you. Pretty much the year I was born, ironically, 1955 to 57, this whole th enterprise went sideways. And when Eisenhower subsequently lost control over these deep black operations, that's when he gave the beware the military industrial complex. I mean, he was very pro-military. He was a general, World War II. And, and then, of course, that's why also the first director, one of the early directors of CIA, uh, 1947, when the CIA was founded, uh, Admiral Roscoe Hillenkeeter stated in a letter to the New York Times after Eisenhower gave that speech, and he said, the secrecy around UFOs is a threat to the national security. He didn't say the UFOs were. He said the secrecy around it is a threat to the national security. So when people ask me, are the UFOs a threat to the national security? I said the man-made ones absolutely are. The extraterrestrial ones aren't. But the secrecy around it in its aggregate is a dire threat to world and national security, no question. In the documentary, you talk about some of the uh, UFO technology. The metal is so pure it cannot be replicated. Can you ex expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so we think, you know, if you're driving a car or flying on a Boeing 737 or whatever, we dig that stuff up, you know, aluminum and metal. We smelt it, refine it, roll it, put it together, rivets, welding, etc. An extraterrestrial vehicle and all its components are not made that way. They are made by creating a sort of an ultrasonic, very high-tech wave that pulls, let's call it the substrate, the elementals that are subatomic, together on, if you can visualize this, like almost like a blueprint in energy, and it materializes it. So it's seamless. The, even the, the parts that are in it, anything that's energy or electronic related is on a nanomolecular level entwined in it. But this is why it's very hard to study this stuff. I mean, it's not like taking apart a Soviet MIG or something. I, didn't, I know the men who worked on these projects, and I mean, you're dealing with really extraordinary, elegant, beautiful uh, material sciences and matter. And that's why the materials are so pure, because they're not dug up and refined. They're actually assembled from this baseline uh, energy-matter interface in, in space-time. And the, you give it, make it real for you. There was a captain on a Navy contract vessel back in 62 or 3. And before he died, he contacted me. Great guy. Um, and he had been, you know, they were testing the Atlas uh, rockets that were intercontinental ballistic. 
But these didn't have nukes on them. They were testing the, the rocket and guidance systems back way back. And they had had a lot of uh, UFO sightings because the ETs were watching how we were developing and kind of this breakout speed with thermonuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic Cold War. And one night, they had an object on radar. It was triangulated. They had it on ship radar. So was, the captain has this guy say, hey, look, well, we have this boogie. And then it got confirmed from their the command center. Uh, and they said, oh, when they because they were able to do that, unfortunately, they triangulated it, and it was hit with some kind of weapon. This was 63. And it dropped, boom, like a rock right into the South Atlantic Ocean. So he was vectored over to the estimated point of impact and was there to retrieve it. And I have his whole story. And he never wanted to come forward because even when he had to have surgery once, they had an intelligence guy in there when he was under anesthesia be sure he didn't talk about this. But I have his whole information. So what happened is that when he got to the site, there was about a six-by-six six pod, and they pulled it up on the ship. Uh, and it wasn't the whole craft. The whole craft had gone down, but apparently there was some sort of one molded thing, and there were four, uh, I'm going to use his language, little men that look like the color of a Sicilian, kind of brown, but 39 inches tall, uh, no hair, and also no external ears, no, no pinna, flaps, very fine featured. But he, the reason he contacted me, and this is why this is so funny, you know, I've debriefed a thousand, over a thousand men like this. He said, I can't figure out how they got in and out of their uniforms. So they had a one-piece uniform. Now, no zipper and no buttons and no visible way they could get them out of this thing. Hmm. And he says, how do they put them on? I said, well, they don't, it, they don't need a zipper or a button because they are kind of materialized around them and then dematerialized off using this technology, this very advanced transdimensional physics. And he went, oh, my God, I would have never dreamed. I said, no, I mean, that's it, how they're doing it. So this is why people who encounter an actual ET craft or the ET, the Evens, extraterrestrial biological entities, and they see even their clothing, <laughs> none of it tracks because it's so far advanced. Well, you know, the, there was another, um, maybe, I can't remember if it was one or two of the whistleblowers that spoke about this. They spoke about, or maybe it was you talking about it, but um, when they got into the craft, the inside of the craft seemed almost infinite. Yep, yep. That was that was one of my, I was representing a whistleblower who is not ready to be unmasked yet. He still doesn't want to be known publicly. But yes, I, because you have a dimensional space shift as well. So an object that looks 30 feet across, you go in, and it was so big, you could, if you'd thrown a football, you couldn't have hit the other side of it. Uh, so, you know, again, all of this gets into an understanding of physics uh, that, unfortunately, you know, we're not teaching our kids the real physics, mm -hmm. the science of anything. I mean, we're all locked 100 years. This is the other part of the lost century I talk about, is that it, it has to do with medical technologies. I mean, as a doctor... I've seen some things that, oh my God, if we had that, the lives that could be saved, spinal cord regeneration, regeneration of lost limbs, 
Um, You've seen that stuff? Yeah. At an underground lab on the Mexican-Texas border. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. How are you getting access to this? The people who like what I'm trying to do that are in the system take me. And <laughs> I went to one place, a very funny story, and they had, you know, they had the Marines there. You know, there was all these checkpoints, and and the guy said, finally we got to the last one, and this was a facility. I won't say where it was, but I mean, basically World War Three for all submarines to be run out of there. And he, the, my mili my escort, my military advisor. Finally, we got to this last point where you go into the inner. You know, it's this huge place deep, and the guy goes. And, and, and what is Dr. Greer uh, here for? And he says, you don't have a need to know. So he played this, the same need to know thing mm -hmm. when he went in. So beyond full disclosure, I've never worked for the government or a contractor. I have no clearances. I don't want a clearance. Uh, but there are people who know that what we're doing, we're fighting the good fight. And the people in the system, a lot of them are very good people. This is what a lot of people need to understand. They got trapped in a system where you get read into more and more of these compartments. Next thing you know, you're in something. And the guys, one th as I say this, I want to make a call for more whistleblowers watching to come out. There are guys out there watching your show, Delta Force, Navy SEAL, uh, people in the aerospace industry, various military commands that have dealt with or seen this. And they need to come forward because now there's a safe pathway for them to do it. And if you're corporate, now there's a six-month clock on you. And we, we, let me be very clear. We know who you are and where your assets are. And after those six months, you're subject to criminal prosecution. And you'll be lucky if that's all you're subject to. So this is something, this is getting very serious right now. That's why I'm on your show. There's a, there's a six-month window. Yep. When does that expire? from the date this bill is finally signed. I mean, it's out of committee, it's gonna be voted, and then it'll be, it's an amendment to the intelligence bill. Okay, so it's not actually, we're not oh, wrapped up with that. No, it's, it is, it's done, it's pretty much, it's, it's done. But it's not in effect yet? Uh, I'll, have to ask, I'll have to ask my guy who's shepherding it through. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it is, actually. Let's talk about the Secret Air Show in 1988. <laughs> Norton, yeah, Air Force Base. It's a decommissioned Air Force Base, California, um, where there was uh, the original uh, ARV that we learned about. Uh, apparently, it had mercury component parts from 1959-60 time period. And it was sort of a circular object, came up to it like a cupola. You see the drawings we have. And we have a man who was at that air show who described it in full. It had scorch marks and other things on it, and they had been told at this secret air show that it, in fact, had been uh, out in the solar system, out in the space and back. This is late 1950s, early 1960s. Now, ironically, my uncle, who worked on the lunar module, put the first man on the moon, that was 1969. So they're working one track at Grumman, which became north of Grumman, and, but then in these deep black projects, they have these things that are zipping out there. And that is 100% true. Uh, my understanding, it did not have interstellar capability. It did not have 
teleportation capability. It doesn't have any of that really exotic. But it was a energy, a free, free energy combined with anti-gravity, where if they could get that up there and go out in the space and other places. So uh, that air show um, was basically showing some old antique ones, right? This is 1988. This, this bird was from the late 50s, early 60s. And they had three of them. One was uh, about 25 feet, I believe, 150, and one 100 feet across. Now, you know, Mr. Herrera, by the time he was in, you know, 2009, whenever it was in Indonesia, the, that one was 300 feet across, man-made. Think of it. Think of the length of a football field round, floating. How are you, just, how are you able to tell which one of these are man-made versus ET? At a great distance, you wouldn't know. Uh, if you're up close enough, the man-made ones are gonna have components, protrusions, electromagnetic, often. They're gonna be seams, welding marks. Uh, underneath, there could be pipes and other things. It's very clearly a man-made machine. The extraterrestrial ones, seamless. Uh, they're, 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 they're extruded in this process of how they create them. Uh, even the light they give off is very different because it's coming through such pure material science, extremely pure materials. Uh, and then if you so don't we're, have... We're if, still in the infancy stages compared... I'm sorry. We're still in the infancy stages of this compared to... I'm afraid in 2023, we're certainly not in infancy. We, we, have, we have technologies and material science that are far beyond. Look at what... Uh, Stephen Digna talked about, that Raytheon device. Out of a million people who would have seen or touched that thing, one million of them would have said it was extraterrestrial. No one would have thought we had that kind of technology. AI, uh, organic quality to it. Uh, that, If you look at his testimony carefully, uh, but that's how they've been getting away with doing the abductions, the, quote, alien abduction hoax, the way they being able to do it is have technologies and also creatures that are look like they're gray or reptilian or whatever. They're, I know men who've worked on them, actually fabricated them. Those are man-made. Uh, and they're used for their psychological warfare purpose. This is one that I, I would love to get Dr. Jacques Vallée to release this document he has from 1985. It's a CIA official document, and it describes the CIA conducting abductions, alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina, quote, for their psychological warfare value. Now, this is now, what, almost 40 years ago, 38 years ago. So this, those sort of projects, aside from being a crime in any jurisdiction anywhere on the planet uh, and a crime against humanity, is creating this false flag psychology, the preparation because people are brainwashed thinking the aliens are mutilating and the aliens are abducting us. They have no need to do that. Those, that's this disinformation campaign using incredibly high-tech technologies that we've studied from the extraterrestrials. So this is one of the real problems, is that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And this was my concern when, when uh, David Grush started talking about an event where, you know, the aliens were murdering people. I'm going, and that went all through Capitol Hill. I'm going, I know that incident. That was us. So 
people, and I don't think he, he understands because he's a young man, the, the problem of having a little bit of information on this and thinking you know a lot is that you're going to step into a booby trap. And the booby trap is being played by the very unconstitutional criminals that people like him were trying to uncover. You were working with Grosh, correct? We had met uh, in March of, of 2022 in Culpeper, Virginia. I was asked to meet with him. But, uh, and uh, he had a security guy there with him. And uh, I told him, look, I'll cooperate and get you anything you need. And so over about a 14-month period, until he told me he was leaving the U.S. government in April uh, of this year, um, we would, you know, periodically, occasionally we spoke through an encrypted system. Usually it was encrypted texts. But I have all these. This know. is, this is. correct me if I'm wrong, this is the guy that he was just in the news? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. And, uh, came out that there, there was a downed mm -hmm. craft. We retrieved it right. with, with bodies, correct? Yes. And those were a lot of this information I was providing to his bosses. And then he was on a, he was in a field operation to go out and get to places. Now, he never got in to see it firsthand, but he talked to people, of course, that, that knew about it. I mean, this um, actually hit the mainstream media, oh yeah, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> he was not the, he's not the principal person I've been dealing with. Um, the principal person would be the equivalent of a two or three star general if he was still in the military. But, but I think that, you know, we, I try, my goal in all of this is that if someone is trying to do this on behalf of the legal government of the United States, I will give them any information I have. Uh, but we have a lot. I mean, our repository of intelligence on this by far is the largest in the world, certainly exceeds the legal government of the United States. I will say that for a fact. Now, the, the, my concern is, is that when you go from that to then falling into the clutches of folks in the UFO community, who then start giving you these tall tales of all these horrible things the aliens have been doing, I'm going, yes, but you haven't been read in to that part of the project. So this is like an onion, a stinking onion. You peel 500 layers of this onion back and there's 500 more. And this is where a little bit of just superficial knowledge is a very dangerous thing, extremely dangerous. And the, my concern about that is that this is exactly the game that's going to be run on Congress and the White House. Well, I mean, you're already seeing it. I mean, this, yeah. like I said, this look, I don't, I don't trust the mainstream media I, anyways. Well, no, they're an asset of, the, of this group. But Absolutely. a lot of people do. And a lot of people don't put any legitimacy on anything unless Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, mm -hmm. ABC, NBC, right. unless they touch it. Nobody, right? right. You, I, I'm not going to say nobody because it, it, there's a growing, the population that doesn't believe in the mainstream media is just continuously getting larger. It's probably half the population. Yeah. But don't. You, why do you think? I mean, that would be the biggest story in the world. Mm -hmm. We've re, we've recovered an ET craft with bodies, mm -hmm. and well, every yeah. on every news network they're all covering it, mm -hmm. and then just like that, it's it's gone. No photos, no nothing. Mm -hmm. What happened? Why well, do you think it just disappeared? Well, we know why. I mean, in 2001, when we did the first National Press Club event, we had a guy who was on a team that for several years in the 60s retrieved the bodies and the craft. And he spoke, and he had all of his information there. His name is Sergeant Clifford Stone. He's in our archive. 
Go look at it. So the people we just had at the National Press Club, a YouTube decorated, a YouTube pilot who encountered these objects back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, worked at the Lockheed uh, operations and skunk work interface with Ben Rich directly, personally. He didn't get to go into that. But these guys are all available to, to give testimony. These are firsthand. David Grush was secondhand. He never was principally involved. Stephen Digna, there with and saw, was with two Raytheon guys with these man-made Raytheon devices. DC Long was in an underground facility out on the Range 19 with, with some Delta guys, took his dad in, who was a contractor, and they accidentally saw this system levitating a 100-ton concrete block up in the air, along with some giant boulders. Absolutely true. And we had people who were, you know, at uh, other operations that we brought. Now, those are all 100 Every one of our 750 disclosure project folks are firsthand witnesses, meaning that they weren't people trying to find out like David Grush was. They're people who actually were in there. Interesting that the media won't interview them. It is. Though, if they really want to know the truth, why would you want to talk to a field operator who didn't have firsthand information and skip over the people who actually touched the things, saw them? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the, the public has to ask the question very quickly. Um, how do we get the truth out? I think we're asking everyone to write their member of Congress and their two senators and the White House as an activist responsibility as a citizen of the United States and refer to the National Press Club event and the Disclosure Project Archive, because we've sent all this in and say, now we need to see action taken. Now, whether the media, the corporate media, that I honestly believe is controlled by this same corrupt enterprise. I mean, Doc, they're definitely controlled. I mean, there's multiple... There's multiple videos of them all reporting the exact same shit. I mean, right, right. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that anybody even watches it anymore. Well, I mean, it's staged. And the problem with that, they do have, and this is the other big announcement, if there are any attorneys listening, we now have over 150 attorneys and legal professionals on our legal team. And not only will they protect and defend any whistleblowers, uh, and the project, but they also are we're moving quickly towards issuing a civilian RICO, Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organization lawsuit, who are going to be in the target, all these corporations and individuals. You can't use a civilian RICO against a government agency, but you can, you can target the individuals and the corporations. That we are going to be doing in concert with this bill, saying now you need to come in and out of the cold or you'll be criminally. We can't criminally prosecute, but there is a U.S. attorney who's on the team that when we find actionable intelligence and get it introduced into court in a civilian RICO, he would then take it and see if he can pursue it under a criminal statute. I got another question, and the question is... Great people have come forward in the last few months. Yeah. You've, you've had... I don't even know how many people, how many different whistleblowers have contacted you guys. And, and you know, it, 
if you're not looking at this with a skeptical eye for anybody, mm -hmm. you know, that's right. listening, you should be. Yeah, you How should. are you deciphering mm -hmm. who the legitimate whistleblowers are from the quacks? First of all, we asked for them to give evidence of they were, who they were, where they were. We want to see a DD-214. We want to see records. And then we check them out. And there's someone who's in our team who has um, the ability to check them out through the system. Okay. Now, even with that, you know, you could be tricked. Uh, the best I can do, now remember, we're not the U.S. government with trillions of dollars or the Pentagon with $700 billion. We're a volunteer organization, best, best we can do. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is good because I've debriefed legitimate people for 30 years on this, literally over 1,000 people. Not all of them are in the archive because some of them never wanted their names given to me, but they were legit. So what I say is that if, if the story doesn't track, and, it, 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 and the other is if what they're sh sharing comports with the evidence from another source, but they don't know each other, there's no collusion. So then you say, okay, this gentleman in 1980 saw this, this guy in 2009 saw this, and it was essentially the same kind of operation, craft, what have you. They don't know each other, but they're, and they're very reluctant. They say, you're not going to believe this. This is what they all say. I said, trust me, I'll probably believe it. But then when you get a points of corroboration, so what I try to do is find multiple points of corroboration. Okay. Like we had like a dozen people who knew about the ET concerns about the nuclear issue. So there's a whole area of multiple points of corroboration. Um, and it's particularly useful when it's a similar event or company or facility, base, where they were there at different times and don't know each other. So there's, then you don't have the, the, someone being able to match up their stories in some tall tale. So I have my own approach to this. Okay. But obviously we don't have, at this point, now the difference is that if we, when we launch this RICO, civilian RICO action, we'll have subpoena power and also discovery. So we can go to these spaces. Now we'll have to find a federal judge who will certify it. We'll see. <laughs> I'm glad we went through that because, I mean, it is, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's tough to take somebody's word for things like this. And oh, so I, I, I don't, think it's important you know, to... I do the best I can. Now, mm -hmm. we almost were tricked by a guy back in 1997 who was coming to the briefings I set up for Congress back then, offsite at the Westin Hotel in Georgetown. And Edgar Mitchell was there. A bunch of fun people were there. Uh, and it turned out he was telling a tall tale. And my military advisor at that time was at a bar, and he started talking about stuff that this guy knew absolutely was false. So I had him escorted off the premises. So, you know, you basically get one bite at the apple with us at telling something that ends up to be nonsense. Um, so that's, that's kind of our policy. But, we, you know, because we don't have any kind of significant... Our budget for all of this has been volunteers and a few donations and people who are de devoted to it. Um, so we can do only what we can do with the assets we have. Well, you got a lot of assets. I mean, we talked about your yeah. crowdfunding capabilities yeah. earlier, and those yeah. are quite impressive. Right. So yeah, we do the best we can. You yeah. know, uh, but I, I always tell people I'm I'm confident of the ones that we're putting forward, and of the ones we have in the archive, uh, which have not come forward. And and listen, anyone listening, you can come forward 
and only give information to me that you think is useful. If you want to go to the arrow process and be protected under the new law and give your testimony, we can do that. If you want to come out publicly, we can do that. It's really up to the person to determine uh, if, if they were in special forces or Lockheed scientists or whatever, how they want to do it. We just want as many people to come forward because there's, there's strength in numbers. But here's the other thing, Sean, we really need. We need to continue to grow the current state-of-the-art knowledge of where facilities are, operations, code numbers, code names, all that. Because that's how the investigators, and if necessary, people who will by force, if necessary, get these projects under control. Uh, that's what they need to have. Well, all the ways to contact you for the whistleblowers and anybody wanting to get involved with volunteer are um, linked below. Great. And, and back to... Sorry, I'm kind of all over this place here. We're going down a lot of rabbit holes. But That's when fine. it comes to back to the zero-point energy and why the government will want to suppress it. I mean, we've talked about, and they're also in your documentaries as well. That, mm-hmm. I mean, you're taking, I mean, let's talk about how ExxonMobil, you know, plays into this. Well, all of the big financial, you know, you know BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, the big oil, petrodollar, all that, is they understand that they want to keep the status quo uh, or tinker around the edges with what I call the pseudo-environmental initiatives, like a Tesla car that you plug in. Well, you have you know hundreds of pounds of lithium-ion batteries that are toxic and how they're made and disposed of, charging off a gas and coal-fired grid. You know, people don't think they think it's free energy. No, you're plugging into a grid that's smokestacks and maybe nuclear if you're lucky. Very little of it is wind and solar. What, 12% something? Uh, So the problem is it has such a huge impact macroeconomically. But I would correct one thing. It's not the, the U.S. government doing anything. Like the U.S. government... I would say virtually no one in the Congress and the Pentagon or White House know about those technologies. So they're not suppressing them. But are there people under cover of the authority of government doing it? Yes. And that is the criminal aspect in the government. That is the rogue element in the government. Whether it's the Patent Office or the Department of Justice or anyone. So they're deliberately, I would say the majority of the U.S. government, where you're left, right, center, would like to see a solution to the energy and environmental and poverty problems around the world. Um, but of course, there are a lot of pigs feeding at the trough for the lobbyist money from the impacted industries, because we're now we're talking hundreds of trillions of dollars in assets that are tied up in oil, gas, coal, nuclear, public utilities. I mean, you'd look at the Fortune 500 list of companies mm-hmm. globally, uh, not to mention nation states, you know. but. You know, I always point out we've had a 150-year run of that old smokestack technology. These others should have begun to come out 100 years ago and transitioned over. Now we're hitting up a red line, not only geophysically, but geopolitically, where you have half the world in poverty. And let's face it, if, if everyone in the world where you've been and I've been 
live like you and I do, the price of a gallon of, of, of gasoline would be $150 a gallon. Mm-hmm. If they were using the kind of energy that you and I use, and it was all 8 billion souls on Earth. So the only way to solve the human future issue and geopolitical problems is to allow these technologies to begin to be phased in that at least you know create energy, even if we hold back the things that fly. I think these electrogravitics need to be held back. I mean... What I'm trying to do is is bring to the light how many corporations would be pissed off if we did hit zero point energy. You know, the gas industry, the power industry, oh, sure. the car industry. It's huge. Everything, everyone. Well, the car energy would just have to pivot to the type of motor, and an electric motor with a, with a zero point generator and a little teeny three volt battery will start it up. Um, you don't need these lithium-ion ginormous battery banks. Uh, those can be retrofitted. But yes, your, your public utilities eventually will retire because every home business will have its own energy source. Um, your big fossil fuel, uh, oil, gas, coal, nuclear power plants, they will all be mothballed. Now, the only thing you'd really need oil for is uh, you know, chemicals, petro- petrochemicals, plastics, things like that. So that is something, though, it not, it's not going to happen instantaneously. As I said earlier, a, this is like a global Marshall Plan to rebuild the planet and regain this 100 years of lost social evolution for our civilization. Uh, but we've squandered 100 years, and I don't think we have 100 years left to fix it. I don't think we have 20 so I think that well within your lifetime and probably mine, if I live old enough, certainly my grandchildren, uh, we're going to need to have this established and done or we're going to be in, in a true existential crisis. So you have multiple crises coming in at once. You know, the secrecy around UFOs, which is part and parcel keeping secret these technologies, right? And who is that benefiting? A handful of elites, super elites. Now, your average guy working at a utility plant or in an oil field, those are going to need to be supported and retrained to these new high-tech industries dealing with making this whole new system. And I think, you know, we need to be very compassionate about the fact that there will be people displaced. Well, at the same time, though, everything that we know will be... a lot more affordable because it will not take the energy that it takes to produce all these things right now. It'll be that energy will be free. That's the biggest component. You think about the energy it goes into digging and raw materials up, manufacturing it, shipping it to a place where it's assembled, shipping it again, and then delivering it to your store, your home and the, the, everything from the delivery vans and jets to the manufacturing process is running on the current energy system. Mm-hmm. So yes, when the energy costs go to zero, after you have a device that's operative, then you're looking at uh, the ability to have extraordinary abundance. And this is the boat. This is a tide that will lift all the boats in the third world and developing world. Also, by the way, um, and it's sort of like how they leapfrog from landlines like we used to have, right, to sell, uh, and and by, they just bypass the landlines. The rest of the world will be able to go from having nothing uh, in the way of energy generation 
3 billion people have no power energy at all, to having these systems. And suddenly you're going to see so much happen in the world that is going to be a human advancement. And aside from the air and everything becoming pristine and clean, uh, there are going to be such great opportunities for, you know, the dispossessed people of the world, Um, which I think if you don't pay attention to that, this is how you end up in disgruntled segments of the population in the world that later become terrorists or adversaries. So I think looking at this in, in, a, in the largest possible way, you know, it's, it's a win-win for everyone if we take care of the workers that would be displaced. As for the mega giant corporate entities, they just need to pivot to these new technologies and r- realize that that era is over. Let's talk about some of the ways that they are suppressing these methods of free energy. Black shelving. Yep, easy. I know guys who've had this happen where they pick it up, you know, they'll get a buyout. Oh, here's $50 million. You know, this, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bearden had a man who had one of these devices back years ago, and the guy didn't have a pot to pee in. And he was very, you know, a, a sort of this inventor bootstrapping it. Thing was real, it was a real free energy device. And next thing you know, he was, he, he's driving around in a Lamborghini and wearing Armani suits. Well, you know, he got basically a pay, but he said, yeah, I can't talk about that. It was bought. It was put on the black shelf of a corporation. There it sits. So with enough money, you can pretty much buy out. What's your number? In other words, because if you're protecting a $900 trillion asset base, what is $50 million? Nothing. Nothing. Right. So and I know many people have had this happen. So that black shelving goes on all the time. Uh, uh, the other, of course, and then you get into more nefarious activities. National security orders. Yep, NSOs. We have one in the film. It shows the patent office slapping a national security on a, a patent application of an inventor I know, whose lab I have been in. Patent seizures, financial entanglements, yep. legal entanglements, credible threats, scientific fraud. What, is, what do you mean by scientific fraud? Well, this is where they will deliberately take a device and uh, cause it to be uh, altered so it doesn't work, but they trick people to get money out of them. So in other words, I've actually been a victim of a couple of these. Very clever. But it's basically where you try to siphon off the resources. There's a big venture capital guy I know. He was almost taken last year for $150 million by a group that was going to put it into a fraudulent effort. But so by intercepting that man's interest, they would then, of course, sideline him. So not his, his financial interests were not going to something productive that was deliberately being put into a fraudulent sting operation. I've seen a number of these. Media corporation. Well, the media, part of the problem is that even if you have one of these devices, is the media going to report on it honestly? Well, it's just like the UFO issue, which is another reason why we need influencers like yourself, but also some of these celebrities that have supported what we're doing. Because my view is that if we had one of these things right here on the table and it worked and we tested it, reproduced it, had plans for it, the first 30 that we would make would go to some key people in D.C. and some big-time celebrities that have their house running on it. 
and you'd have two billion people find out about it in, in, a, in a matter of days. Because what you have to do is figure that the corrupt influences in the scientific and media community that have kept the UFO issue secret are gonna kick in on this. So you have to develop a strategy to work around that. Uh, I liken to we need to be sort of water flowing, and if there's a huge boulder in front of us, we flow around it or find a way around. Uh, because there are gonna be these obstacles, and there have been, and that's one of the big problems. If the media had done its job on the, all these issues, notwithstanding their lip service to the environment and climate change, if they had done their investigatory job as the fourth estate and a free press, I wouldn't have had to leave my medical career. So the biggest liability here is with the media. Wet works. Well, that's just a term used at the agency for assassinations and targeted killings. Um, it's just a slang, but wet comes from blood, obviously. But uh, yeah, number of people, one in particular I worked with very closely uh, was killed. And I think others have been over the years, um, the, the, you know, because they, they didn't do anything rational. Here's how they, I'll be honest with you, if you have this kind of information, you're sort of holding a hand grenade in your hand that the mm -hmm. pen's been pulled. If, 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 it's op, if, it's not a, if it's a legitimate system. Because there are all these corrupt interests that'll do everything in their power to keep it from going from your lab out to the public. So I think this is where you have to then have a, a strategic plan to disclose that open source and then get it out through alternative media and influencers and celebrities. I mean, everyone from Leo DiCaprio to Ariana Grande would be thrilled to have a device like this to save the environment, right? So you, you use the strengths we have. The strengths we have is that 99% of the population would benefit from this. Uh, most of the people who are highly influential artists and celebrities would love to see it. Um, and even the corrupt politicians once the public demand it, they'll have to do it. They'll have to say, yeah, thank you for your donation, ExxonMobil, but we're still gonna have to support this. So a lot of this comes down to the public step, we the people stepping in on this. Uh, I think it's a huge mistake to think that the government of the United States or a big corporation is gonna do this. Yeah. The history shows they will not. Yeah, <laughs> that's for damn sure. <laughs> Um, there's, I just, we're running out of time here. I know you got a flight to catch, but, um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you. One of them being magic, mm -hmm. the organization that runs covert projects. Mm -hmm. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Well, the majority <laughs> joint intelligence committee, it's a name that's been used, uh, Back in the old days, there was allegedly a group called Majestic 12. Uh, that was a group in the Truman era, an early Eisenhower era. But it's basically a committee. It's transnational. It's people from different countries that are on the upper end policy group of this whole problem. And there are a number of people who have been involved over the years. Certainly Admiral Bobby Ray Inman, uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney, uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, a number of people, and I've met with some of the others. Uh, and they're, they pretty much determine policy 
uh, on the, these, these sort of big global issues. Uh, and part many, of part of their people. portfolio would be the UFO issue. Part of it would be all this new energy issue because they're hand and glove the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then there are other uh, problematic agendas. How uh, many people do you think are involved in this? Well, I think at the upper level, my understanding is about two or three hundred uh, folks globally. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's totally global. You know, I tell people it's not international the way we think of the State Department, and it's transnational. So they basically maneuver, and also in other countries, this organization moves with alacrity across all boundaries with these sort of assets, these sort of man-made UFOs, and can do all kinds of operations with, or with, they don't need the permission of the host legal government. So this has become a global power. You know, when, when Senator Inouye said, there exists a secret government with its own Air Force, its own Navy, its own funding mechanism that's above the law and free from the law itself, right? He was chairman of, of the committees back then. Um, and then he confirmed to my attorney, when my attorney, Derek Garcia, was a young intern up on Capitol Hill, that in fact, he had seen the 2001 Disclosure Project event, said, yep, Senator Inouye said, all that's true, and there is a secret government running all this. So I tell people, don't take my word for it. Listen to this high-ranking senator. There have been a number of people who tried to blow the whistle on this and point people in the right way, and no one followed up on it. And I think it's now, we're reaching a point now where I think we're out of time uh, to let this stretch on for another even uh, two or three years. My understanding is that if within six to 12 months, the results of this new bill is not forthcoming. In other words, if these corporations and individuals don't capitulate and provide what they have to the legal U.S. government, then force will be necessary. Which brings us to the strike team. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about the strike team? I'll just say carefully <clears throat> that People who are utterly fed up in the legal government, who have the means to do something beyond a hearing, that are you know special operators and what have, there, there is absolutely a clock has been set. <clears throat> Let's talk about, and the reason for that is they now realize that the organizations doing this are treasonous and they are subverting the interests and the national security of the United States. And the rogue elements, the worst, are doing all kinds of crimes under cover of Pentagon or under cover of agency, under cover of the government. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a complete abuse of power. So, so is this strike team from the U.S. government? I don't want to comment beyond okay. that it would be uh, it'd be an authorized operation against these illegally run rogue elements. Okay. Okay. And obviously, uh, with full rights to do so. So obviously. Uh, and, and the real question becomes, those guys, anyone involved with that, would need to have enough detailed information about what the adversary has, right? You're going to walk into an ambush otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things we have to do is get as much good detailed information on methods, 
assets, where they're located, where the bases are, where the entries are, what technologies that can be deployed as a countermeasure. But we're all hoping this never has to happen. Because if the American people listening would actually take action and, and the members of Congress and the White House would begin to take this very seriously, all of that could be avoided. And so my hope is that there's a smooth, uh, non-kinetic solution. Let's just put it that way. <clears throat> Completely unrelated to that. Yep. The hoppy prophecy. Yeah, yeah, the Hopis. Well, you know, this is interesting because the time we live in, many people feel, many uh, ancient peoples and even scriptures related to the time of you know, sort of the ending of one whole era and the opening of another. And I think that's the truth. I think we're at this point of transition between an old world and a new one. Now, some people say it's the end of the world. I said, no, it's the end of the old world and the opening of a new one. So in the Hopi prophecy, the, the, the Hopi prophecy rock, you know, there's one line that terminates, and that's our civilization terminating if we don't get this right. There's another one where it, then it takes off and it goes off into infinity. So it's like humanity, as I see it, is at this critical juncture where we need to choose whether we're going to go forward and keep going for hundreds of thousands of years and go out into space peacefully, all of it, or we're gonna blow the whole system and not and, and have a terminal situation. So the Hopis had this in their prophecy. Who are the Hopis? There's a Native American tribe in the uh, desert southwest. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. my, peop my grandmother was Cherokee, but you know, I'm familiar with some of these different traditions. And I think that my, my dad was half Cherokee and half Scottish, an interesting mix. But, uh, but I think this is why you look at it, many people around the world get this sense that we're at this inflection point, not just politics and this and what have you, but our whole civilization. And I think these extraterrestrial civilizations know that. They know that we, we could get into a lot of bad trouble and have things happen that will be extinction level events if we're not careful. On the other hand, they know that if we came together and were for once in our history, did the right thing peacefully, we could transition to a civilization that literally will be interstellar. Uh, maybe not in my lifetime, but in probably your children's. Wouldn't that be something? Yep, yep, oh yeah, I have no doubt. We certainly have the means to do it, the technological. Do you, have do, hope? do you think we're going to get there? Oh, I do. I wouldn't be doing this if I were a pessimist. I mean, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. I mean, a smooth transition would have been before I was born when the ETs warned Truman and Eisenhower to make the transition. But I think absolutely we can do it. I've, I had a beautiful, lucid dream back when I was a young man, and it was way in the future. Maybe I was around the age I am now. And I was out at what looked like White Sands. And it was, and I met my wife in a lucid dream. I have this sort of ability to, to dream in the future and then meet people, like the aboriginals with dream time and all that. It's also a Cherokee tradition. But so I had this dream and it was this beautiful clear day. The whole US military was supporting this peaceful contact event between humans and an extraterrestrial vehicle that was descending. 
And there was a, a, a very ancient E.T. elder that came out of it. And it was televised globally, and the whole world saw it. And, it, you know, it was nothing scary about it. It wasn't like some scary thing. It was a very beautiful thing. So I, when I had that vision and dream, I said, well, that's one possible future. You know, now there are other possible futures. And this gets into the almost a spiritual question is the exercise of free will by humans, individually and collectively. Now, I chose to leave my medical career to do this at great difficulty. But everyone can make their own decision here. Are you going to write to your member of Congress if you're someone involved in these covert projects? Are you going to come forward or not? These are all moral decisions as I see it, spiritual and moral, ethical. Um, everybody, you know, everyone thinks morality is, you know, the peccadilloes of men having affairs. I mean, no, no, no. That's what, you know, in the Middle Ages was considered the foibles and the silliness of humanity. We're talking real moral choices here. What are you going to do when you find out there's an issue like this? And are you going to step up to the plate to fix it? So it's a, it's a moral question, an ethical question for the Congress, the president, all of us. And I think every citizen here and around the world. Because remember, these same projects have assets parallel, not as big, in the United Kingdom, Australia, Brazil, uh, other countries, no question. I was gonna ask that if, if there were any Japan. foreign you know, oh, yeah. companies that are involved in this. Oh, many. And, and this whole committee that deals with it is like a little UN on its own. It's, it's definitely international, I know for a fact. Man, it's, it's global stuff. Yeah, it's global. And scary, you know. And, and Well, they are um, scary, but they're not that many. So here's the thing, is what I tell people. The vast majority of everyone on Earth, the vast majority of everyone in legitimate governments of the Earth would be on the side of what we're advocating if they know the facts, the evidence. So that's what we have to put in front of them and hope people make the right choice. That's all I can do. I'm nobody. I'm a private civilian, retired from medicine. But I do think that if the message resonates and enough people act, it kind of creates this collective conscious wave of change. How would you like them to act? I think that the leaders, the, the public needs to just get involved with this and write to their leaders and point them to the assets that we've handed off, the Disclosure Project Intelligence Archive. Uh, and ask for open hearings. Not, I think the classified hearing process needs to end. We need to go to open hearings. And I know that's why uh, Congressman Burchett and, and uh, Comer, the chair of the Government Oversight Committee, and I understand the Speaker of the House, all think there should be open hearings on this. The risk there is that they all get gaslit, like I was talking about. But this is where the public needs to weigh in and say, don't be fooled by this other disinformation trajectory that's going to be put in front of you. Like last year, the Pentagon released 1,500 pages of material from Dr. Kit Green and others that are involved in these clandestine operations with alien mutilations and abductions and people being burned. And it, every one of those cases in there, I know for a fact, were done by humans masquerading as an alien encounter. So the risk of, of having people at the National Security Council and the Congress being deceived because they have no information is very great. And this is where, as Eisenhower said, only an informed citizenry can avoid uh, our loss of our democracy. 
that he, he said it, I'm paraphrasing. If you look, look up that speech, an informed citizenry. So that's why guys like you are, I think, so key to this, is helping to get the information out. Well, thank you. I, I am honored to be a part of it. And, um, you know, Doctor, once again, I just really appreciate your time and coming oh, here sure. and educating it. my audience and, and myself because I am new to this, this whole subject. Yep. And, um, and it's, it's, I just keep diving deeper. Hey, it's a band of brothers and sisters trying to do something great for the country and the world. And I, I remember my, my mother's ancestors were the first POWs against the British in the American Revolution. And they were this little ragtag. They really were. I mean, George Washington, all of them. And look what they were going up against the, the British Empire. But they won. Yep. So I always tell people, you know, you have to have the human spirit is capable of achieving great things when we come together and do it. So that's what we need to do. Very true. And... Um well, I'd like to end this. Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex, and I'm going to play his speech yep. at the end of this. Great. He warned us about this a long time ago, and here it is. 1961. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. How to do this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Doctor, 
Best of luck to you, and I can't wait to see you again. Great, thank you. Same drafts. Thank you. Hey everybody, I'm Sean Ryan. Click here to subscribe to the Sean Ryan Show YouTube channel for the hottest and most compelling interviews that you will not see anywhere else. I've also made a playlist of all the previous SRS episodes so they're easy to find. You can find that right here.